let's get to work. Please, I got blueprints here. I'm very naked right now. I break up with you. I break up with you. That's why you're here. You remember my birthday. It's just the wrist. It's just all in the wrist, buddy. Hey, you're not a nobody. You're somebody. I'm a let go. You were my friend. And you betrayed me! My wish for you is to become hope. It's a force of nature. Like me. Up by the bed. What's going on everyone? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective. The show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie, episode by episode. I am your host, Eduardo. And unfortunately, we are uh, Robbie-less today as he is off gallivanting uh, the uh, northwestern part of the United States of America. Uh, <laughs> but as he is gone, we have a, a wonderful host in his stead, and we've got uh, the, the other two old heads here with us as well. Peach, <laughs> we've got Chris, and we've got Bailey here. Bailey, welcome back. Hello. Hi, Bailey. Why do you have to say old head? <laughs> Am I a new head? Yeah. <laughs> Happy birthday, Peaches. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You're an old Legally head now. Old. Yeah, these two screens are the, the 30 and up club, and we're the young club. <laughs> okay. Don't worry, Peaches. You're 30. I'm the end up. So. Yeah. <laughs> Eduardo, you're going to be in this club pretty soon. Literally so. in like a week and a half. Yeah, well, I'm not in the club yet. And so enjoy it while you can. Yeah. You'll be a geriatric millennial before too long. <laughs> oh, man. This is going to be such a such a fantastic episode. I can already feel it because we're talking all about Amazing Spider-Man 2. And it's so... I don't think any of you are ready. We've we've joked about this episode for a long time. We talked about it because on the Spider Cut, we made a joke about how we never wanted to do this episode because we hated the movie so much. And some of our opinions today might surprise you. And that is, that sounds like a clickbait article title, but it's true. <laughs> it, it really is. It's kind of crazy. But first, let's talk about production release. Chris, I'm gonna hand it off to you. All right. So, um. Oh, did you want to talk about Patreon first? Hey, join the Patreon. You can support us at patreon.com slash assembly required. And if you have joined the Patreon and you want to chat with us all the time, like all the time, uh, link your Discord. Go to the Patreon settings, link your Discord account to your Patreon account, and then you can, you know, post Bollywood graphics interchange format pictures in the general page that say happy bollywood birthday yeah there you go that's that's a little preview of the things that happen in our discord (laughs) (laughs) that's a true story all right i'm going to talk a little bit about the production and release of the amazing spider-man 2 uh, development of the film began after the success of the amazing spider-man with mark webb returning to direct a screenplay by alex kurtzman roberto orsi and jeff pinkner 
Fun fact, Roberto Orsi is a 9-11 truther. Uh, moving on, uh, Mark Webb was... Uh, <laughs> Mark Webb was under contract with uh, 20th Century Fox, but Fox agreed to allow Webb out of the contract to direct this film with no financial penalty if Sony promised to promote the upcoming X-Men Days of Future Past for free. So... The mid credit scene of Amazing Spider-Man 2, uh, not on the version I watched, but back when I saw it in theaters, was a sneak peek of X-Men Days of Future Past. So that was weird and a little confusing. Especially I forgot to... about that. Yeah. Isn't that I, weird? I was looking forward to that, and on the Blu-ray version that my roommate has, uh, it didn't have either of the post credit scenes we talked about in our last podcast. So I was bummed about that. I wanted to see. I wanted to Shazam the song. Yeah, okay. So the Shazam thing, the credits, I think the thing that was in the Shazam is actually part of the credits now. And the Shazam thing just made them a little bit more clear. That makes sense. Because they're like weird schematics, whereas they're actual 3D models if you do the Shazam thing. And I think they showed a couple things that were not in the the credits as well. Uh, Because I was able to find that on YouTube, the Shazam version. That checks out because, yeah, there were some things in the credits that we were like, wait a second, is that what it's supposed to be? Yeah. I remember being able to like rotate them and stuff. Yeah, I think like the camera moved. I don't remember if it was, it might have been interactive. I don't even remember. What a weird, weird thing. (laughs) I saw someone commenting on it saying that it's like Sony said, all right, Fox, we're going to promote your movie. We promise. And then telling everyone, hey, get out your phones now. (laughs) Get out your Sony phones now. Yeah. I like how everyone in this movie uses a Vio, by the way. Dude, um, I was going to say it if someone didn't. Like, <laughs> they, this movie is more of an advertisement for a Vio than anything else. It really is. Those things, if you are on a crashing plane, they will stay plugged into the Ethernet cord no matter what direction the plane is facing. That's what I learned. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, they, don't, they don't advertise that, but they really should. So, new cast for this movie included Jamie Foxx as Max Dillon slash Electro. Dane DeHaan as Harry Osborn slash Green Goblin. Paul Giamatti as Alexei Sitsevich slash Rhino in a role that was promoted as being much bigger than it actually turned out. (laughs) Um, Felicity Jones as Felicia Hardy, a.k.a. Black Cat, but not in this movie. BJ Novak as Alistair Smythe, a.k.a. Spider Slayer, but not in this movie. And an uncredited Chris Cooper as Norman Osborn. Fresh off of trying to sell them up at theater. Uh, Shailene Woodley also shot scenes as Mary Jane Watson, but they were eventually cut from the film. Yeah. The well, pla- while what? we were watching the, the Norman Osborn scene, I was sitting there going maniacal laugh. <laughs> maniacal <laughs> laugh. Hey, why would somebody who was definitely in the movie be listed as uncredited. I was confused about that too. Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah, usually it's like if it's just a cameo or something, they're uncredited. I don't understand. Straight like five minutes of the movie, like yeah, yeah. Like if it had only been the one scene where he's in the bed, maybe. But then you see him normal like twenty minutes later. Well, and they had plans for him for the next one. I remember seeing that they had plans for a lot of this stuff. That like he was going to, they wanted him to be Goblin King. Oh. I saw that like his head was supposed to have been preserved 
Well, and they were, they talked about, um, and maybe we should have said, I don't know when to talk about this kind of stuff. But, yeah, um, I don't know. There's like an interview with um, the guy that played, oh my God, what's his name? The guy that played Gwen's dad. Um, Dennis Leary. With Dennis Leary, where he talks about how a big plot point for the next one was Speeder, with, Speeder, Peter was going to find a way to regenerate people that had died. So Gwen and him would have come back to life using Peter's DNA. Oh, God, they were going to do Clone Saga? Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what they were going to do. Oh, my God. The, the, the comic book story that everybody hates. Let's make a movie out of that. <laughs> suddenly, maybe glad we didn't get a third one. I mean, though, like... Not suddenly go, for me. <laughs> yeah, sorry to go back to this. I just, I'm confused about what would happen that somebody would be listed as uncredited. Is that like a cancel thing? Is that a my agent says that I didn't do enough in this movie. No, you can choose to go uncredited. And there are many reasons why you might. And I honestly don't know why. I'm going to do a quick little Google and see if I can give you an answer right now. It seems like an embarrassment thing. Like, I don't want anyone to know that I had anything to do with this movie. But then you listed on IMDb anyway, and it said uncredited. I know people are uncredited when they do like a cameo and then like later on it's going to be a big role. But like we, we very clearly know he was Norman Osborn. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's not like there's like anything that's hidden. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. He talked about it even before the movie came out. Uh, didn't say why he was uncredited. I think it was just that it was. I mean, because like, like Bailey said, I think um, Samuel Jackson is uncredited in Iron Man and did all those other movies where he's just a cameo so yeah i think that they were treating it as like a world building cameo and then he was probably going to be you know maybe he's such a would have been such a big name that his name should have been higher on the credit list if he were in it so he was like i'll go uncredited this time with the expectation that i'll be second build in the next movie damn I just think it's a weird concept to say you're uncredited but also be in the credits like uh like maybe not literally, but on websites that say like this person played this person because it's like saying, Hey, no offense, but I hate you. It's like that <laughs> phrase. Like I'm not credited, but I was in this movie. Okay. So we know you're in this movie now. <laughs> yeah. Well, credits are like, it's like a whole negotiation thing. It's like the people who get and or with in front of their name. I know that like that it is a big deal. What, like how you get credited better? in a movie. Which one's supposed to be better? With or and? And And is better. And is better. Mm. Because they always do the withs. It's like all the names and then with so-and-so and so-and-so. So so and is like, that's the tops. Especially if you get and so-and-so as character. I want to be a part of the survey team that decides which of those words makes people more excited about (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, how did they decide this? <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so the sorry pl- to drag that on. No, it's I'm okay. Just... Now the plan was for this to uh, be the start of a shared universe uh, with two sequels planned: Amazing Spider-Man three and four, a Venom movie, a Sinister Six movie, a Black Cat movie. Uh, Spider-Man twenty ninety nine was also planned. I don't know how that was going to tie in or not. Uh, in fact, if you go back and look at some of the early trailers for this movie, you see some of the Sinister Six stuff that we see in special projects. And you also see something that was not 
present in the actual film that was replaced. And it's uh, tubes full of floating black goo. So there, there are your symbiotes. Uh, so after the film underperformed both critically and financially, the spinoffs and the sequels were eventually delayed. They were supposed to... Sp- Amazing Spider-Man's 3 and 4 were supposed to come out in 2016 and 2018. Then they pushed Amazing Spider-Man 3 back to 2018. And like in interviews, Andrew Garfield was saying, yeah, I really don't know what's happening there. And Mark Webb was like, yeah, I don't think I'm directing the fourth one. Uh, and then uh, the Sony email hack, which we've discussed before, uh, because North Korea was mad at Seth Rogen and uh, James Franco. It all comes back to James Franco. <laughs> um, God, what a douche lord. He ruins everything. <laughs> again, again, I have trouble saying that anything was ruined when we got Marvel Studios Spider-Man out of all of this. But the Sony email hack also revealed that Sony had reached out to Sam Raimi about developing a new Spider-Man trilogy, as well as that they had held discussions with Marvel Studios about possibly coming to an agreement to share the character to feature him in Captain America Civil War. And those talks initially ended with no agreement because Marvel uh, balked at the terms. They did not like what Sony was demanding. Then in early 2015, Marvel Studios and Sony announced a new partnership and the Amazing Spider-Man franchise was no more and was rebooted once again in Captain America Civil War. So yeah, what a what a tangled web we weave uh, of the Amazing Spider-Man franchise. <laughs> I know it underperformed financially, but it also didn't like it didn't do a, a bad job. Didn't I think. it make like seven hundred million? Which I guess yeah, it, is about on par with like Spider-Man three, and I guess sequels just do worse generally. But like, it's weird that like the critic reviews were what had a factor in them canceling it because I don't. I mean, now critics, for the most part, seem to like the MCU movies. But I think before, like, it was just kind of accepted that like these movies for diff- are for a different audience than well, for like, critics. Critics, and I, I think critics for a long time were like, they kind of like stuck their nose up at movies like this. They were they were mm-hmm. a little bit more like, oh, it's it's one of these. And it wasn't, and, and I think they had started, this is around when they were starting to kind of come around and realize that like, superhero movies were going to be like a thing, but I still think a lot of them were still in a, like a, Oh no, it's another one of these movies. It's yeah. not one of my movies. <laughs> well, again, this is at a point now, this is in a two years post Avengers world. So they're chasing Marvel in every way sure. and Avengers. And if you go back to the original Iron Man as well, were both very well received critically in addition to, you know, being big hits. Uh, Dark Knight. I mean, you look at, at the Nolan Batman movies, critics talked about them. And even going back further, I, I think I mentioned this on the Amazing Spider-Man 2 episode, but that movie, Roger Ebert gave Spider-Man 2 four stars. That's you know, And that one was pretty well. No, the other Spider-Man 2. Oh, okay. The Alpha Molina one. <laughs> the regular Spider-Man 2. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The not Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, so so even, even Sony's previous Spider-Man movies had had critical success uh, to, to some extent. So the fact that this one just kind of deflated a lot of interest in the franchise, it just became more and more clear that what people really wanted was to see Spider-Man with the other superheroes. And, and I think that puts, so- and I think the hack itself probably put Sony in a weaker bargaining position because 
when it leaked that people that they had talked to Marvel, everyone was like, yes, we want that. We want that. So, so I think Sony kind of had to go back with their tail between their legs a little bit and be like, hey, Kevin, want to want to talk about that again? <laughs> I wish they would have taken those critic notes for Venom, though, because Venom, <laughs> we don't need a Venom 2. We, we really didn't need a Venom 1 either, but I think that did terrible, like, critically and... But it made so much money. If you yeah. make enough money, it doesn't matter what the critics say. <laughs> there's like the, a chart. There's a balance. Yeah. There's if you are critically super successful but don't make a lot of money, you might continue on for the prestige. If the critics are down here, but everyone went to go see the movie, you're gonna say, Well, what do critics know? Yeah. But if you're somewhere in the middle, that's when it becomes hard, you know, how do you justify as a business mogul, you know, what to do. And now we're getting too venom, too furious. Thanks a lot, people. <laughs> but again, if you look, they're going with a different creative team for that. You've got Andy Serkis directing that one, which is just such an interesting choice that every once in a while I remember is happening. I'm like, oh, yeah. So you feel like, may, are they trying to take it in a different direction and right the ship? And we still don't even know what Sony and Marvel's future plans are. It's there was, so somebody confusing said something in, in the air recently. right now. We just heard something recently about how it was the president of Sony, I think, that said that they are, there are plans to connect the MCU Spider-Man to the Sony universe. Yeah, and he was saying it in really weird, vague terms, and you never know, like, with the executives, like, how right. hands-on are they, but you know that's something that they want. It's been teased in the Morbius trailer, and I just don't understand. You know, maybe someday we'll understand. Maybe after we see No Way Home, it will make sense, and hopefully it makes sense in a way that's not... The end of the movie is, oh, we're all going to our own universe now. Bye. Right. <laughs> I hope you do a Venom episode. I hope not. No, you don't. You hoped that you didn't do an Amazing Spider-Man 2 episode. And... Yeah, maybe I'd like Venom more. No, I wouldn't. I don't know if I would. I still uh, haven't seen Venom. I, we, I... It. we rented it from Netflix, like DVD. Netflix. Oh, yeah. I had a free trial, and then I forgot to send it back, so they charged us the $20. No! So, I remember finding that when I was helping y'all move. So if you want to borrow it, let me know, because I want to get my money's worth of this <laughs> $20 Venom DVD. I don't know. I was Sad. confident that we would come back to this movie and hate it. I could be wrong about Venom, but that was, like like more recently than amazing spider-man 2 was and i feel like my my uh memory isn't that bad <laughs> yeah. all right we're about to start talking about about amazing spider-man 2 but before we do that bailey you have a bone to pick with these guys over the episode they did last week i don't even <laughs> so while i was listening i was like making a list of things i wanted to respond to and then i was trying to narrow it down and pick my like top three points but then it it just got carried away but i i really like amazing spider-man one so i'll just generally say that you guys are haters <laughs> i gave it a seven damn it nice and nice and diplomatic Bailey. give them a point they can't actually argue back with nice well, I don't also. I also don't want to get like nitpicky and rehash Amazing Spider-Man one and be like, "Well, I disagree with this specific point." Like, we'll we'll just move forward. We don't have to be in the past. No, I'll be in the past. A few things. <laughs> one, I, and this is going to come as no surprise to anyone, love the basketball scene. I think it's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> 
Two, you guys didn't talk about the actual worst part of that movie, and it's a little bit in this next movie, too. And that is the very, very weird New York accent that Andrew Garfield gets during certain times of being Spider-Man. It's so much worse in this movie. I, yeah. I, I was so distracted by it. He d- I noticed it in the When he's movie, talking to Harry out that. by the river. Yes! He's like... Oh, you know, I just like uh, to go out. I uh, just like uh, to eat in uh, New York, and I'm, it's all of the wrist when I throw my rocks. <laughs> hey, I'm Spider-Man here. I don't know what you're talking about. He like turns it on and turns it off at such random points during these movies. And at some points, it's I can't even tell what kind of accent or dialect he's trying to do, and it's a little uncomfortable. (laughs) Regionally, it would make sense, but he needs to hold it for the whole movie. He's like in and out of it in both movies. It is weird. I didn't notice it in the first one, and then you told me that we should have mentioned that. And so while we're watching this movie, it was like high on my list of priorities to listen for. And yeah, it is. It's something. Hot dog and coffee. (laughs) Well, and it's funny because in this movie, he like makes fun of the way British people talk, like at the Oxford University like thing. But he is Uh British. So (laughs) he was making exactly what to say himself. Yeah. Self deprecating humor. He is on board. (laughs) Cheerio. Yeah. I guess I'll just generally talk about my thoughts on Amazing Spider Man. This. It's weird to call it like it's a franchise, but it's two movies, so barely. But this, the first one came out in 2012. So I was, I just graduated from high school. So that was like the, yeah, I'm the the youth of this (laughs) podcast. (laughs) I had just graduated from high school. So these were like the Spider Man movies of my teenage years, whereas like the previous Spider Man movies, like Robbie and Chris had talked about, were like the Spider Man movies of their teenage years. And I I saw the Sam Raimi ones like growing up, obviously, and I liked them as a child and then revisited them. And I didn't think they aged well at all, but then you guys really liked them for the most part. Maybe this movie doesn't age super well, and maybe it will continue to not age well, but I have a really like nostalgic place for it. I think it's good. Um, I, I was the Twilight audience, but I was not captured <laughs> by these <laughs> movies. I separately really liked them, and I, they were just like the popular movies that like everyone in high school like went to see, because like you know in high school you just like see like every movie that's out. So, and the, like, <laughs> you know, in high school, you don't have taste. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's what I'm like actually getting. <laughs> but, like, everyone I knew for the most part, like thought that they were really great movies. Um, Amazing Spider-Man one is like the first superhero movie that like inspired me to go home and do like research into the comics and like learn about like the sinister six. And then like, I remember when the trailer came out, I like looked for all the, like the clues and the Easter eggs. And that is not something that I had experienced with the MCU up to this point, even though at this point we had gotten up to the Avengers. Like, I really liked the Avengers, but I didn't, like, go home and was like, oh, I want to learn more about the Avengers. I was like, that's that. I think I went home and like, looked at, like, the closest place to get shawarma. <laughs> <laughs> it was very surface level for me. Um, so, yeah, I started to get invested in superhero movies with Amazing Spider-Man one and two so 
maybe I'm biased probably a lot, but I really liked them. I also don't have a problem with Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker in the first one. I know everyone hated him and thought he was really douchey, but I don't know. That's kind of just how high schoolers act. I didn't think he did anything that was too outlandish or too out of pocket. That's how I remember high schoolers being for the most part. So what you're saying to me is you were a bully in high school because that's how high school bullies acted. That is not how I acted in high school. High school, what, when did he bully anyone when he wasn't Spider-Man? He was just like the, the for a lot of the scenes halfway and forward, he was just like a, like a swabby douche for a lot of the time. You kept, I, you kept saying those words, but you didn't elaborate on that. You just treated it as fact- but I just like I don't think he was a suave douche. I think he had I elaborated on it. He he shows up at dinner and after he fights with um with Captain Stacy, he's out on the balcony with Gwen, webs her on the ass and twirls her in and gets all like kiss me. I'm Spider-Man. Yeah, I think like it's, it's just weird. How high schoolers. I, that was the other like biggest point that I like disagreed with is like and I don't think high school relationships are usually that deep i mean i know in movies they are portrayed that way usually but like i'm sure everyone had like a high school crush or person they started dating based on like very little reason for it they were just like oh you're cute and i like you and we said a few words and now we are dating (laughs) (laughs) like for movie purposes it's probably not the most interesting it doesn't make sense but i feel like that is kind of accurate to how high school goes and even like with far from home like all of a sudden peter decides that he really likes mj and wants to get her that thing but they didn't have like too many like romantic moments in the previous movie he just like decided that he liked her now i'm not not gonna argue with you on this one because i agree with that (laughs) but it's super cute and i think it works better there and you don't think about it because of the way it's played whereas like maybe an amazing spider-man one you're like this isn't like I thought it was cute and just fine, but you guys it didn't work for you. Remember when I said jerk. I was going to rehash? It? <laughs> <laughs> also, I feel like the strongest audience member that you would be talking to right now is, uh, as Eduardo said, gallivanting ar- along the uh, the northwest the right now. Northwest. So. <laughs> I, I don't no, no like... the Atlantic Northwest. Well, you he's said, oh, the Atlantic. I'm sorry. What region he was <laughs> he, he's in I Europe right now. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't mean to. I wasn't saying like I'm going to directly quote Eduardo. I was saying that the person <laughs> that you have the biggest uh, disagreement with, I believe, is not here to defend himself. <laughs> Maybe it works better that way. Because otherwise, we would be there would be an Amazing Spider-Man one episode all over again. Yeah. <laughs> Part two: the hashing. <laughs> <laughs> You already said the letters MJ. You already, it would have already been taken down way longer paths. <laughs> Except he said in one of the um, Sam Raimi episodes that he doesn't have a problem with the MCU MJ. He kind of likes her. And that was wild. I almost sent in a whole email about that. <laughs> 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 Robbie, we are eagerly awaiting your uh, response. This is this podcast is turning into a uh, a diss battle. No, I just at this point we need like a ranking of the love interests in Spider Man movies because I'm not quite sure where Robbie stands anymore. It's not dissing; it's called accountability. Peaches, I was thinking about it like a Yo Mama battle, like MTV. <laughs> you know. <laughs> 
Maybe we should start great. talking about Amazing Spider-Man 2 now. <laughs> <laughs> so opening with a flashback like last time, which I kind of hated this because it was the same flashback. Uh, Richard Parker kills Oscorp's genetically altered spiders and deletes his research before heading home, where we return to the flashback from the start of the last movie. As it's a shame that we never got the third movie to see what happened five minutes before that. <laughs> <laughs> you actually oh, just keep going further and further actually, back. It's a, it's a video of Aunt May, and she's working on web shoots. <laughs> oh. I was thinking what it would have been was you actually see the break-in in that room happen, and it turns out that it's Flint Marco Sandman. <laughs> that's the retcon. Is that you know that's probably exactly man. maybe not Sandman, but I think that's exactly what it would have been. So we would have seen who broke in, and it yeah. would have been a Spider-Man villain. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe that mysterious culture and uh, and hat guy. Yeah, Mister Fears. As Richard and his wife Mary escape from Oscorp in a jet, an assassin kills the pilot and shoots Mary before Richard is able to subdue him. After a struggle and Mary's death, Richard is unable to upload something called Richard is able, excuse me, to upload something called Roosevelt on his laptop before the plane crashes. I don't think this is a strong start to the movie, because in hindsight, you could have cut this entire scene from the movie, and the movie would have been exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it only weirdly sets up, like, one payoff for Peter later in the movie when he learns his parents weren't completely dicks. Like, yeah, But, like, they, why, why yeah. did this need to happen for that to still be paid off? I don't know how else he would have found uh, the recording. I mean, I guess... He would have found the, re- the recording the exact same way. Yeah, I guess he would like, have. None of this needed to happen on screen for us to, like... For the exact same things to happen, right? Like, Peter still finds a recording. He still weirdly finds a bunch of coins and a calculator. Uh, you know, all of those things still happen. He still finds mm-hmm. his dad's recording, blah, blah, blah. But we don't get this weird James Bond secret agent. Dude, Mary, it was... I'm telling you, this was one of several ads for Sony Vio. They, they <laughs> had to have a clip on that computer just withstanding the... the barrel rolling of a plane while being plugged into an ethernet cable <laughs> look at how look at how uh strong this connection is man buy one of these computers please <laughs> this episode sponsored by sony bio in the modern day spider-man swings through manhattan to stop a police chase where russian mobster alexi slidevich and his gang are stealing dangerous plutonium i can't say that man Uh, As the truck careens out of control, Oscorp electrical engineer Maxwell Dillon is run over. He is saved by Spider-Man, and when Max tells him, I'm a nobody, Spider-Man gives him a peck talk about being important help, calling him Spider-Man's eyes and ears. I like this scene. I think it is a cool scene of Spider-Man just being like, look, man, you can't be in the way, like, you can't be putting yourself in danger, but, like, he's just, like, trying to relate to him. Um, I don't think Max Dillon is the best character in the movie, but uh, you know what? He still has his tooth gap at this point, and uh, I'm with it. <laughs> I don't. The only part about this scene that that is weird to me is him carrying like fifty blueprints out in the and public. He just keeps saying, "Get out of my way! I have blueprints." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Are they oh, to this be- guy's got blueprints. 
blueprints over here. We gotta go. Are they supposed to be secret? And he's like, don't look at my blueprints. Why did they give him so many? I, why didn't he stack them all up before he rolled them? There's so many questions about this. Weird guy. They tried really hard to to prove to us that he is like a slightly unstable, like outcasted person. They but, like they went a little far, I think, but it works. One of the reasons why I think his character doesn't age as well is because it feels like we're a little bit more in today's day and age conscious about mental health. And it's mm. very clear that this person is has some sort of mental health issue. And right. it it makes it uncomfortable later when he becomes a bad guy and is just like angry at everyone because he was, you know it just creates they, a really weird, uncomfortable situation. They yeah, play it for laughs, like right. how he's treated and the way he acts when clearly he has had a lot of issues throughout his life uh that have led him to get to this awkward point and you feel bad for him yeah if you have any bit of empathy you just feel bad for this character and then they flip the switch so to speak when he becomes electro and then he's they flip the gap maybe yeah (laughs) maybe that works better though in 2021 maybe that's one of the things that works better from a story perspective because if the intention in 2014 was for us to think that his mistreatment was funny then his character goes from someone we thought it was funny to watch being picked on to a villain. Whereas now we're looking at him like, Hey, like you shouldn't treat him like that. And then he turns into a villain and the trajectory makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. The the problem is that that once he becomes a villain, there's no depth to it. Right. No, there's, and that's a different story, but yeah, yeah. I think maybe it plays out better because we're not looking at him and going, ha ha, that's funny. We're going, dude, you shouldn't treat that guy like that. Mm-hmm. Like, be nice to this man. Yeah, it's a really tough villain origin story. Like, it's just really uncomfortable to watch. And it really, like, the, like I mean, we'll get into this, but the only reason why he, like, became a villain is just, like, his circumstances, basically. And I feel like you can really easily draw a lot of parallels between him becoming a villain and him, like, you know, like, starting to commit crimes. And, like, maybe just he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Or, like, he has all these, like, if not mental health issues that, like, He's at least very lonely, like treated poorly. Like I mean, kind of get it, but then they don't like. Well, like they like don't go all the way there. The like mm-hmm. lone guy that has mental health issues that gets picked on to the point to where he snaps and starts like hurting people is probably not a story you want to tell in today's day and age. Probably like it just it, they're Joaquin Phoenix won an Oscar for it. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we live in that society. <laughs> It's just tough because you, like, are meant to feel bad for him to an extent. Like, there are some laughs, but I think, like, overall you're meant to feel some empathy. But then you're like, oh, now he's a villain. Like, screw him. Now he's blue. (laughs) 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 I just want to be Dr. Manhattan out of here. He was blue before, but now he's literally blue. (laughs) Mm. Oh, so he's blue like he was on the inside. Yes. And everybody around. (laughs) Because he ain't got nobody to listen. (laughs) Well, you found your post-credit song. There you go. <laughs> While dealing with the chase, Peter Parker is late for his high school graduation and girlfriend Gwen Stacy's speech as valedictorian. He is finally able to apprehend Sylvester and end the chase, and arrive just in time to be handed his diploma. 
Side note, her speech was totally telegraphing, I'm going to die in this yes. movie. Prepare yourselves. <laughs> We're doing the night Gwen Stacy died. Sorry, just to quickly go back to that scene again. I actually really like that opening scene with Rhino, like pre-Rhino Rhino. Like, I know we don't get the amount of Rhino we want in the movie based on the advertising, but that scene feels very much like a comic book. Like, Peter swinging through the streets, like, juggling the plutonium, like, grabbing some with his feet, like, webbing it up. He quips a lot. He finally quips uh in a way that is like fun to to listen to in the, in those scenes and i just really think it's a fun scene yeah i think i think uh i agree i actually going revisiting this movie i actually really like the way they used rhino um i think the problem was all the marketing all the hype leading up to it was that rhino was one of the villains in the movie yep. And then he's at the beginning, and then he disappears for the entire movie, and then shows up at the end as Rhino. So, given what we were expecting, we're like, what the hell was that? Whereas, it's actually a decent way to set up Rhino and the Sinister Six. Uh, you know, I have my issues with how they did some of the setup for future things, which we'll, we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later today. But, going back with the expectations adjusted, no, nah, it's a good tease for a future villain. Yeah, it had shady advertising techniques. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it was. I mean, Rhino, that last shot was in the trailers. Yes. <laughs> Through all of this, Peter keeps hallucinating images of Gwen's father, George, and remembers his dying request that Peter leave Gwen out of his life for her own safety. Outside dinner with the Stacy, Stacy's, excuse me, Peter breaks down and tells Gwen he can't deal with their relationship due to his fear for her and guilt over her father. They affirm they love one another, but he says he can't do it, and she breaks up with him. Uh, she breaks up with him. I break up with you. I break up with you. <laughs> Got him. Have you ever, like, I've never heard someone declare a breakup that way. It's like maybe, Michael Scott. Maybe I was just lucky. I break up with you. I declare bankruptcy. <laughs> breakup C. <laughs> I will say, even here, I was I was watching this scene, um, and I was like, man, these guys, uh, I don't know if anybody's, if you're going to agree with me, Chris, or if not, these guys are way better actors than Kirsten Dunst and Tobey Maguire. Like, their chemistry is significantly more palpable than that of Kirsten and Toby. Like, you, first off, they were dating when they were filming this movie, so they have yeah. just chemistry in general because they do want to just bone each other. And, but, but also like they, they just, they're just better actors in general. I feel like, like they just, it's much, it's much more believable with them. Yeah. And, and, and part of that I think is that I think they're going for a bit more of a realistic style in this movie than they were in the Raimi movies, sure. which were, I think a little intentionally over the top. And, and, you know, we talked about some of the camp factor to it. But yeah, no, I, I do think that they are really good together in both these movies. Even as much as I didn't care for Amazing Spider-Man, I think that they're good in the movie. Yeah. And and I think that they do have good chemistry in this. It was like, yeah, you know, I, I enjoy watching them together. But not in a creepy way. Well, I think they're a little better in this movie than they were in Amazing Spider-Man 1. Specifically, Andrew Garfield yes. is a little better because he, like, actually says words in this one. Whereas in Amazing, in Amazing Spider-Man 1, he did a lot of, uh... Hmm. Just, uh, 
I mean, that's how he got his first date with her. So it hey, works. Man, you're just, yeah. You know what? What, I, what I'm hearing from you. Well, I use many words when few words do good. You're jealous that you can't just make noises at Emma Stone and then she'll go on a date with you. Well, yes, that's 100% <laughs> facts. <laughs> Emma, come on. I think any of us are you? on a date with Emma Stone. Absolutely. Uh, 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 uh. That's my call. Her ears Emma. just perked up. <laughs> <laughs> Radio interviews discussing New Yorkers' mixed reception of Spider-Man play over a montage of the friendly neighborhood hero helping people and fighting crime around the city. What I think, and Angela had talked about this on your last episode, that people talk about how he's such a great Spider-Man, but he's not a great Peter and vice versa, and she said she disagreed. I think this scene is one of the scenes people remember when they talk about him being a great Spider-Man, because this is a great Spider-Man scene. Yeah. I really enjoyed this montage. Um, the uh, no, go ahead. I I, I agree, and and uh, I think she said this in the group chat because because she was kind of watching while I was watching, and she's like, "Okay, this is why everyone remembers him as a good Spider Man." Absolutely, we're remembering this movie, <laughs> and it feels like because I was listening, I listened to your guys' episode, and then I watched this pretty closely afterward, and it feels like they were listening to the episode, and they were like, "All right, now we need to do everything that these guys said. We need to fix." And yes. almost everything you guys said, they directly addressed in this movie. They really did. It's uh, like we must have nailed the the critical reception of of things wrong at the time and just not known it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like because it feels like like you just said, like they time traveled. They're like, I wonder what Assembly Required has to say. And they went back and then made <laughs> Spider Man two. Like, all right, let's let's make Peter this way let's fix this thing let's do this and <laughs> they time traveled listen to what we had to say and said shame about those hacks let's not uh <laughs> let's not tell them. let's not warn them though <laughs> like uh, one thing that I, I really actually really enjoy in this movie is the score i think the score is much improved over the first one um I also think Peter and just the way that he is, I think his characterization is much better in this movie. Spider-Man's characterization is much better in this movie. Feels much more like what Spider-Man should feel like. I think the suit, I think Robbie talked about how much he liked the suit last time. And then I wanted to scream because I hate the first amazing Spider-Man suit. I really, really dislike it, but I like this one a little better. Um, and we didn't even talk about the score. It's Hans Zimmer and Pharrell Williams is involved mm-hmm. as part of a team. I guess they tried to have like, a magnificent six and then some i don't remember someone dropped so it ended up being like magnificent five but they were trying to do a nod to the sinister six but pharrell williams is part of the score yeah and junkie xl i think i saw his name in there who worked with Hans zimmer on some of the dc movies i really like the score too it's i think this movie still i don't know if suffers is the right word but it still has some of that theme from the first one where it seems like there's always music playing like was that show like one tree hill where music just never stops <laughs> like it kind of has that feel sometimes but i think they they place the different stings and moods and and that sort of things in better places in this movie also this came out at a time where i was like really heavily listening to edm so mm-hmm. anytime Electro's theme came on, I was in it, dude. I was like, you lied to me. Bro, 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 bro. Like, <laughs> dude, I'm there. I'm there. Okay. 
two things. I enjoyed that Electro had like a very specific sound to the music in his scenes. I thought that was a, a, a really good touch and how it's, especially when he becomes Electro, I think it's the same theme as when he's Max, only it sounds nice and kind of comedic when it's Max and then when he becomes Electro, it becomes all but the the lyrics I thought it was no. super cringy. Why? No. Man. Stop that now. <laughs> They're not that bad. I'm electro. I'm watching this. I'm going, what is this garbage? Dude, did you not listen to EDM in the in the mid two thousands? That's what it was. It was just random nonsense in songs. <laughs> that's that's what it is. Felt about that genre. <laughs> yeah, I want to piggyback not musically off of what Eduardo said too, because I think that that one thing. Um, I I feel like we're just piling on Robbie at this point. That that he said, and we maybe agreed with a little bit, was that. Um, he didn't like this story as much because it doesn't feel like it, it ties to the comic story as well. It's not the exact same story from the comic. That's a little bit of an exaggeration. But they also, in addition to like improving the things that we kind of complained about last episode, I think they tie this to the comics a lot better too. Like when I saw this, I thought it was weird that Electro was blue, but that is how Electro looks in the ultimate story is he's he's blue. Like they nailed that. Green I didn't Goblin, realize that was what ultimate electro looked like yeah green goblin is like an actual goblin in that story like and so they they were going for that with harry i think they missed the mark with harry and we'll talk about him but uh, but you can see what they were going for which is still kind of cool and then obviously you know the death of gwen stacy like that is a very well-known comic thing and here it is like that is this story so i think i it just feels like they did their homework really well for our specific complaints <laughs> weirdly <laughs> i don't know how they did it but maybe we're just like everybody every other critic who knows no i think we and i wasn't on the first episode so i can maybe i shouldn't say we but i think you guys uh had some some solid criticisms of the movie and i think they really tried to step it up here which is so baffling to me like you guys don't understand how confused we were at the end of this movie we all texted each other because we watched it within the same like three hour time span yeah, and we were all texting each other like, "What is happening? Am I, am I enjoying this? Like, do I, do I, maybe like Amazing Spider-Man two more than I thought I did?" I just want to say I was not confused, and I've been that <laughs> since day one. <laughs> I'm starting to think. I'm starting to think just like that's the scene that we're paused on right now that we remember the things we liked about this movie and applied them to the first movie. And in our brain, in our history of what we saw, we're like, yeah, Amazing Spider-Man 1 had all of the great stuff and Amazing Spider-Man 2 had all of the crappy stuff when really it was like probably reversed or at least distributed differently. What I think is, I think this movie had all of the best stuff and most of the worst stuff. Like, I think it has all of it wrapped up in one. Like, I think it has really great Spider-Man, some really awful villains, and it, like, it, it's, a, it's a swirling pool. And the problem is, a lot of that bad stuff happens right at the end of the movie. Like, at the very end, you're just shown Green Goblin. You're not getting Rhino. You're getting all this different stuff happening all at the end of the movie. And then when you're leaving the theater, you're going, what the hell was that? And you forget about all that stuff you watched beforehand. It's like... Um, 
features i'm sorry it's like rogue one it's like how you watch the mediocre movie that is Rogue One, and at the very end, you see the Darth Vader scene, and then you get convinced that it's actually a good movie. I won't accept that criticism. <laughs> but what you just said is a common theme amongst the amazing movies, because that's how the first one ends. You, you, you're wrapping it up, you're thinking the movie's going to be fine, and then... Uh, Andrew Garfield is like, I'm going to break this promise, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it totally well, like, changes your mood. The, here's The biggest problem with that whole thing is like, they could have just saved that because he they break up at the very beginning of this movie. Why, That's what I was saying. Like, That's what I was saying. Yeah, they were going to do that anyway. Why taint the end of the movie right. by changing the mood and, you know. Like if this totally movie was going to be a whole will they, won't they, why didn't they just stay broken up? Yeah, Yeah, they could have stayed broken up and they could have had the exact same thing of them trying to figure out how to be friends and struggling with it. And, you know, Gwen gets kind of the same thing that MJ did in Spider-Man 2, saying, it should be my choice. Again, give that character some agency and it's great. Yeah, I I went back, and I said this to y'all in the group chat, but I went back and found my initial reactions on Twitter to seeing Amazing Spider-Man 2. And it was, and I quote, Amazing Spider-Man 2 was better than I thought it was going to be, but the series still doesn't quite do it for me. There's something off about it. And revisit, I think that over the years, we've heard so much about how bad Amazing Spider-Man 2 is that I think that kind of crept into my brain that, oh yeah, Amazing Spider-Man 2 just must have been awful. It killed the franchise. It, 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 I, you know, it must, have, it must have been bad because I had no intention of ever going back and watching it again. I remembered that the thing I hated the most from either movie was the end of the first one. But I remembered not really liking the Goblin. And I think the bad stuff just kind of built up in my mind, combined with everyone else talking about how bad that movie was. That I was like, yeah, I must hate that movie. We got hive-minded. Yeah, yeah, I did. And and then revisiting it, I ended up having the same reaction to the first time where it's like, oh, that was better than I thought it was going to be. Still don't really love it as a series, but but that was, I think I was even more favorable to it this time than I was the first time I saw it. Yeah, it just makes me realize how, and like, this isn't the only movie this has happened to, right? Like the hive mind type thing, right? Like, Hell, Spider-Man 3, the same thing happened when I watched it again. Well, and I think the hive mind in general is just something that happens very commonly in geek nerd whatever uh-huh. culture it is just a thing that happens and so i think as a community we should probably be a little more conscious of that and like i think there are some times where people just commit opinion to fact and yes. this is one of those things where people were just like it is a fact that amazing spider-man 2 is a awful 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 movie mm-hmm. and i don't think that's true after watching this I like that we've had this realization in a few of our episodes too. I remember we felt this way about Thor. Like we went back and we watched Thor and we were like, you know what? That movie was a lot better than I remember. And I appreciate that we've been able to do that and not just uh, carry the opinion of the greater internet into our conversation every time. Yeah. We've also done that with things like Black Widow. Like we were like, oh, Black Widow wasn't that great of a character to begin with. But then Black Widow was our MVP every time she showed up. And like, yes. yeah. it was just like all these things that the internet had just thrown out into the ether just over and over again that you just start to kind of believe. And then you go back and you watch and you're like, wait a second, it's not like that at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In his home, 
Max Dillon is revealed to have an over-the-top shrine to Spider-Man like Helga Pataki as he, re- <laughs> as he rehearses a detailed imaginary conversation with the wall crawler, hopeful that he will show up to Max's upcoming birthday party. Wow. You lie <laughs> to me. The next day at Oscorp, Max ends up sharing an elevator with Gwen, and they discuss his admiration of Spider-Man. Gwen wishes him a happy birthday, and Max is taken aback when she remembers his name. Which is really sad. It makes me feel bad for him. See, like, he goes from zero to a hundred so quick, but I feel so bad. Like, he just wants people to, like, be his friend or whatever. I'll be your friend, bro. Like, let's go hang out. I'll look at your blueprints or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or I won't look at your blueprints. Whatever, whatever you prefer. Whatever you're comfortable <laughs> with, man. <laughs> Later, Max's boss, Alistair Smythe, who Max earlier hoped to confront about Oscorp stealing his plans for a new electrical grid, tells Max to stay at home late, stay at work late to take a look at an electrical problem, sarcastically telling him it's because Max is special and wishing him a happy birthday. I forgot BJ Novak was in this movie. Me too. Uh, but also, BJ Novak playing Alistair Smythe is a perfect casting. Uh, what a what a great person to play. It makes me think of when he was um, on The Office and he was CEO. Not CEO, but he was like, I forgot what title he got. He was a VP of something. Yeah, he was. Like, yeah, and he became a major douche. Yeah, that's exactly what he just needs to do as Alistair Smythe. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't. I don't know too much about Alistair Smythe from the comics. What do you have a like quick synopsis? So he's typically like, seen, why is he perfect? So he's typically seen Alistair Smythe is typically paired with Kingpin. So in if you remember the the Daredevil comic or the Daredevil series, how he had that like right hand man that was like I don't remember who who he is in the the Dare, not the Daredevil comic the Daredevil series. I don't remember who he is there, but typically that's Alistair Smythe is Kingpin's right hand man. Until oh, they eventually break off, and Alistair Smythe does his own thing, he becomes his own character. But but originally, he's more okay. of like a because I I remember him mostly from the Spider Man animated series, where he starts okay. off as Kingpin's boy. He then is in like a wheelchair for a while, and then he becomes this hideous creature type thing. Hmm. Okay. Sorry, I'm not a comic guy. I'm a TV show guy. So what you're gonna get from me is TV show <laughs> knowledge. Robbie's not here, so I'm all we've got. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's fine. It works. With no other employees on the premises to shut off the power, Max Max is shocked and falls into a tank full of genetically modified electric eels, apparently electrocuting him to death, but also fixing the gap in his teeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why did we need that? And covering him in what? cement somehow. Yes. I thought that was like a calcifying... Thing. Like, oh, that, okay. That works. Yeah, like the the electricity calcified him somehow, but I don't understand the gap. <laughs> Why did we have to close the gap? I think Eduardo said, did, didn't you say this in the group chat? He's like, hey, he's uh, he's got powers now, so he has to be hot. Yeah. It's, it's Jamie Foxx, so he's got to be hot. Well, that's the thing. That's what I was like. I said that the opposite. I was like, Jamie Foxx is so good looking that you had to make him as ugly as possible for it to be believable that he was a loser. <laughs> God. Let's give him a gap in his teeth and bad hair, which <laughs> I'm looking at myself right now and thinking, oh, no, am I Electro? <laughs> well, not yet. You got to jump into the vat of eels, bro. All right. Yeah, Just say when. We don't I do love doggy. We don't discriminate against people with gaps in their teeth, but that's clearly what they were going for. No. Like, gap in your teeth, you're a loser. 
Yeah, what a weird, what a weird thing to use as the indicator. David Letterman is next. Watch out. <laughs> Top ten ways I'm going to kill Spider Man. What a stupid scene. It's so dumb. It's so dumb. And it's so funny. And it's so dumb. Uh, <laughs> it's so funny. I don't I don't even know what to say. Like you like think about it and you go like this is what they're gonna do. This and it's just like, no, yeah, this is where they're going with it. This is this is it. Which I don't know how he gets his powers in the ultimate universe. I'm not sure if it is by genetically modified electric eels. I was just going to ask. I like that. to think it's not, but you never know. I'm looking it up. While you're looking that up, at the family mansion, we see Harry Osborn visiting his dying father, Norman, acting like he's been in these movies the whole time, even though he just showed up. The two fight over Norman's distance in Harry's childhood, and Norman insinuates the likeness, the illness, excuse me, killing him is genetic and will be passed on to Harry. Norman gives Harry a day to drive with his life's work, telling him he may have to, he may be able to succeed where Norman failed and find a way to stay alive. Does he insinuate it? I thought he literally said it's genetic. You're going to die also. Yeah, he doesn't insinuate. You're correct. Yeah, he doesn't insinuate it. He literally (laughs) is like. He insinuates it by saying you will die. (laughs) (laughs) These villains are really good at just being on the nose. Like, <laughs> Peter Parker, I am the lizard. Yeah, that's why I was Sincerely, XOXO, Dr. <laughs> Kurt Connors. Also, real quick, um, Wikipedia is not very specific. It just says that Justin Hammer experimented on Max Dillon, and then he got the power to control electricity. Oh! Yeah. I would have liked to see Justin Hammer show up for that. Same. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, I, I, my only question is... Um, what does is, what is Norman say? Oh, he calls it retroviral hyperplasia. And I would like to know why one of his symptoms is he has claws on his hands. <laughs> it's the Norman family curse. Obviously, we needed that to... I don't know, man. Everything about the Osbournes in this movie is stupid. Uh, they wanted to call it goblinous becoming us, but they didn't... <laughs> Anyone would latch on to that. Then in the next scene, Norman Osborn is dead, making Harry the new CEO of Oscorp. That's how the line of succession works. (laughs) Harry sits in on an Oscorp board meeting, discussing how Oscorp is under increasing scrutiny due to the lizard's attack in the previous film. I kind of like this because they talk about how he's like, so his plan was literally just to turn everyone into lizards. Like that's that was his master plan. <laughs> As a result, all animal hybrid research has been destroyed. All right, well that's a little far. Harry meets his father's assistant Felicia and tells the rest of the board that they work for her since she works for him. Hi, Felicia. Speaking of Rogue One, mm-hmm. Harry asks to see every research file on the list of canceled projects and is then informed that Peter Parker is here to see him. Downstairs, Harry reunited with his old friend, Peter. And that's where he finished the sentence. Peter (laughs) mentions that Harry was there for him when his parents died and wants to be there for Harry in the same way. After an initially awkward reunion after so many years apart, Harry begins to come out of his shell and he and Peter spend the afternoon together. I... 
I thought that was a fun little scene where they're joking about like Harry's butler and how he works the comb. (laughs) I thought that was fun too. I just don't like, was it Dane Duhon? Dane Duhon. I just don't like him. I I mean, you get into this later, right? Yes. Okay, I'll save my thoughts on him. I mean, there's... (laughs) I think in this interaction, they have nice pockets of non-awkwardness, but I think the pockets are surrounded by weird acting. Well, here's the... <laughs> I, the I think it's an editing thing. So it feels like some of the reactions and some of the conversations weren't shot during the, at the same time, and they were... It's, it's like a common practice, right? Like, you run the lines a few times, you find the ones that fit best, but these feel like it was like a reaction to something completely different. And they just... The editing is really strange. It feels like it doesn't fit together there. Hmm. I like when Harry asks Peter what he's been up to, and he says web design. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Peter tells Harry about Gwen, and they discuss Peter's apparent abandonment by his parents, as well as the strange happenings around New York in the last few years. Of Spider-Man, Peter says he brings people hope. Hope starts with an H, stupid. it's revealed that some members of Oscorp's board are observing this from afar, also discussing Maxwell Dillon's recent accident. Meanwhile, in Oscorp's secret morgue... (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) A totally normal thing for a biotech company to have. The apparently dead body of Max Dillon suddenly jolts to life as he discovers that he has become a being of pure electricity. Gwen asks Peter to meet her, and they attempt to set ground rules for maintaining a friendship. Gwen reveals that she is a finalist for a scholarship to Oxford and may be moving to England. Now, Peach, we get a really cute scene with Gwen and Peter here where they're talking about how they can't do things. You can tell that they still like want to be together. There's a lot of chemistry there. And I thought the scene really worked. Like, I think their chemistry works really well. And I think it's some of the better parts of this movie. Yeah, I agree. I think what you have to think about when you watch this movie, and I said this before with a negative connotation, but I'm going to say it again with a positive one. You have to go into this movie knowing that this is a romance movie. The romance is between Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy. And that's the focus of the movie. The villains are here too. We've got some superhero stuff, but they're not the focus. They're they're not as great as our main cast here, but that's okay because this is a romance movie. And I think this what I've come to this con- the conclusion of is I think this movie works better in 2021 than it did in 2014, and this is why. We have talked about how um, you know, romance movie, we don't care. We want superhero content. In 2014, we want more superhero content. The superhero movies are finally starting to be good compared to those of the past. And we just want Spider-Man slinging webs and beating bad guys and doing cool action stuff. And we get a romance movie. And that's not what we wanted in 2014. But where we're at right now, we've talked about on this podcast several times, the MCU is not a specific genre. The MCU as a whole has drama it has loss grieving it has all kinds of of categories of movie i mean wandavision ends up being an entire series 
about somebody dealing with their grief and, and processing it. And that's the core concept of the show. We see an end game. End game is an action movie, but for Thor, the main point of Thor in that movie is battling his depression and learning that his depression doesn't make him not worthy. And so there's all kinds of subtopics that we go into in these superhero movies. And if you go back to this movie now and you think of it from that perspective, coupled with the fact that we know that this story does not have any bearing on whatever the overall story of the MCU is, I think it just works. Like we can watch a movie that isn't a, a an action only superhero movie and enjoy it. It it feels a lot like and one of y'all put this in the group chat and I was like, "No, don't say this. I want to say it on the podcast." It feels very much like Marty McFly going to the Enchantment Under the Sea dance and he picks up the guitar to cover and he you know, he shreds on the guitar. And the whole audience just stops and they're like flabbergasted. And he says, you know, maybe y'all aren't ready for that yet, but your kids are going to love it. And I, I feel like that's what happened with this movie is it was just before its time. It was trying to set up a, a universe at a time when people weren't as bought into action or uh, superhero movies, but they weren't as bought into veering genres of superhero movies. And so going back, I just think that it works now. And I like this movie a lot. And I was just blown away by, it was one of those things. And listener, I hope that you have not hive-minded with the internet and decided you're going to hate this and you're ready to, you were ready to hear us bash this movie for two hours because I, I started that way too. And as I'm watching this movie, as Eduardo mentioned earlier, I'm just firing off stuff in the group chat like, wait a second, when am I going to start disliking this? Do I actually enjoy this movie? I am thinking about this movie post-watching it, like for hours <laughs> on this rewatch. I, I Please give it a chance again with, with neutral glasses, uh, whatever it might be. Go back and think of it as its own thing, a superhero story uh, in a universe where there's no consequences for the future. And yes, all of that being said, as far as a romance movie goes, Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone have amazing chemistry in this movie. Every interaction they have, like this scene that we we paused on, feels very sincere. Um, and I think as a result of how well their chemistry works, the ending, which may or may not have been necessary, but you're more devastated by it because you saw how well these characters worked together. Um, and I think it's compelling. So I think now in 2021, the focus of this movie hits the mark for me. And, uh, I just want to apologize for my, my former behavior of <laughs> talking shit on this movie for so long. Cause I don't think it was warranted maybe at the time, but I have changed my tune now. That's, that's what I have to say about it. Give this movie a chance. Don't believe what you hear on the internet. Or remember from, you know, 2014. But if you believe anything you hear on the internet, believe us. Yeah, <laughs> we're on the internet. Believe us. <laughs> <laughs> no, but don't just listen to what I say either. Like, go back and watch it. Yeah, I think I think people should go back and give this movie a, a second chance. Um, I think I agree with some of the things that you said. I don't know if I, 
I, I think romance is too broad of a because like, I feel like every superhero movie has romance to some extent. Like it's like yes. it's like a really common thing to use, and I don't think mm-hmm. that's necessarily what did this movie its downfall. I think what did this movie its downfall was that they were too eager to catch up. They had it's the DC problem, right? They were too eager to catch up to what the MCU was doing. And because of that, they pulled themselves in too many directions. Like they kept trying to leave breadcrumb, breadcrumb trails at every point. And some of those, because we're watching it now, we know they don't lead anywhere. We can just take the movie for what it is. We can enjoy those. But at the time, you're being thrown breadcrumb trails left and right all over the place. They're trying to set up 15 different characters and try to do this. I want to agree with you. I want to agree with you. But if we're in some alternate reality where they're setting up for an Avengers movie. So they make an Iron Man movie, a Captain America movie, a Thor movie, whatever. And those ones don't end up working out or some deal gets broken. And now we don't have an Avengers movie. We'd be saying the same thing. Those movies in the beginning and even through phase two had a lot of things that they're setting up for future movies. They were not as obvious maybe, or they weren't as forced, but those movies do that too. We talk about the Marvel callback all the time. We talk about payoffs for things that we saw in in previous movies. Like, yeah, this, this, these two in this, I'm doing air quotes, franchise, are guilty of it, but all of the Marvel stuff is guilty of it because they are always they always have a plan for what they want to do in the future. And for the MCU, it's just happened to keep working out. Yeah, I think the difference being for me is that rather than it be a callback, this is a call forward. Like a callback works because you're calling back to something that has already happened. This doesn't yeah. work sometimes because they are calling forward to something that hasn't happened yet. Like they are being like, we're going to do this soon. Watch out. And that's okay at times with like some end credit scenes. Or The problem is this movie did it too much. Like it's the amount My of rebuttal to that is just Thanos. Like Thanos was a part of six different movies before he was in his own. Sure, but Thanos was, he wasn't integral to their plot, right? Like this, these are things that are like part of this movie's plot. Thanos was always like, Oh yeah, a thing at the end credit scene, or like an extra little yeah, yeah. thing for if you stayed afterwards, so that didn't have any bearing on the movie. This is like woven into the story of this. Well, and that's why I'm saying, like, yeah, maybe they went a little too hard on it, but I, I don't think it's anything. <laughs> hey, I, like- I don't think it's anything unusual. I just think they were a bit extra with it. I think you know, that they dialed it up to eleven. The problem that most non-MCU cinematic universes have had is that they start by trying to build a universe. And I think when you look back at the MCU phase one, with the exception of maybe Iron Man 2, which does a lot with S.H.I.E.L.D., they made, you know, five good to great movies that had connections, but it was, we're making a Thor movie. Now, yes, we're going to use this character that debuted in Iron Man uh, because he's a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent because it makes sense for S.H.I.E.L.D. to be there. But that was it. That was it as far as, like, connecting it. And then also, when you get to Captain America, you're like, all right, so the industrialist who we know had a father who was active in World War II worked on this Captain America project. It doesn't feel forced. It feels natural. It's something that only a few cinematic universes, I think, have pulled it off. Fast and Furious. And what's that? He actually didn't hear. Oh, I said Fast and Furious. Oh, yeah, I actually didn't hear. 
Well, even that, uh, that's not so much a universe. That's like it's a, like a franchise. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the example I always go back to as being a good of a good cinematic universe is the MonsterVerse, the Godzilla and Kong movies. I because I think they they kind of crib from Marvel by saying, "All right, there's going to be the secret organization, and that's going to be the thing that links them, and then eventually we'll do our crossover." And it worked. And MonsterVerse, uh, for some reason, my mind went <laughs> Monsters Inc. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the Monsters hey, Inc. Cinematic Universe. They're all connected from doors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's an easy universe to connect. <laughs> I don't know. I, Chris, are you still talking? Are you, I don't uh, want to interrupt you. Well, I mean, this actually is kind of getting into what my point was. One of my points was later. So okay. we might need to... I mean, I, I guess I'll just go ahead and talk really, about it now because it. That, it's brought up and I'll just delete it from uh, uh, from the notes. Is that... You know, one of the popular ideas about why this movie wasn't good was because it spent so much time trying to set up future stuff. And it does do that to an extent. And I think it does weaken the movie, but not as much as I remember it doing. And I think that's because the last time I saw this movie, Batman versus Superman didn't exist. Where (laughs) they stopped the movie so Wonder Woman can watch all the trailers for the other superheroes that Lex Luthor kept on his computer. (laughs) That's kind of what they did with the Sinister Six in this, but at least it was just background stuff and or you could watch it when you Shazammed the song at the end, (laughs) you know, as opposed to it being, you know, five minutes of Harry Osborn telling, you know, Shadow Man, Mr. Fierce, oh, and I've got these octopus arms and we'll give them to my friend Otto and I've got these wings I'll give my friend Adrian and this knife to my friend Craven. You know, it, it wasn't like five minutes of that. How do you get the short end of that stick, by the way, in your little <laughs> your little hypothetical, like, oh, you get robot arms, you get wings, here's a fucking knife, idiot. It's a real good knife. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. So it, there is a bit, too much world building does happen, I mean, especially with all the weird, Peter Parker was fated to become Spider-Man because of his father's research. Like, none of that stuff works for me. But it's not as big a part of the movie as I thought it was, and it doesn't detract as badly as I thought it did. Um, I kind of lost because I feel like we've jumped like ten points now. And I kind of lost where we were at the beginning uh, of this. Uh, but yeah, oh yeah, I guess I was trying to say with, that the MCU did a better job of making movies that were connected as opposed to making connected movies. Does that make? Sense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I think like it's the mummy or the dark universe. The the problem, and this is where I'll just I'll cap myself from from dragging this on. I think the problem is that we uh are kind of forced into comparing this to the MCU when the MCU did this the best. Like we mm-hmm. are comparing anything to an S rank gold standard for the most part of leaving breadcrumbs and tying things to other movies. And you're just not going to, you're not going to match up to that. But what it boils down to is that because this, this universe got canceled, we're never really going to know if it was too much, you know, we'll never fully know the extent, like we can have an idea about it, but 
would this have all felt like too much if they would have successfully segued into the next movie and used what they left behind well? We don't know. Some other universe knows. We're going to find it. Mm -hmm. Dr. Strange will help us find it. Yeah. Suddenly... Peter's spidey sense tells him that something bad is happening several blocks away in Times Square, and he swings off to see what's the matter. His spider sense is, like, tuned up to 11 in this. It really is. (laughs) He's got, like, super long-range spider sense. Yeah, it's like, spider sense is supposed to be something bad is about to happen to me. (laughs) Not, oh no, there's a baby crying in Peoria. Let me swing over there. Yeah, also, how did Gwen get to... Times Square so quick. It seemed like they Just were really fast. Way out the There's way. a lot of stuff like that in these movies and the Raimi ones where you're like like there's a scene I don't I didn't mention this in the podcast episode where Aunt May just decides to walk to Peter's apartment and visit him and talk for two minutes and then leave. Who does that in New York? <laughs> How did she get there and out of there so fast? Yeah. She left her house to visit him in New York City. For two minutes of conversation. There's a lot of stuff like that. (laughs) The electric blue Dylan has wandered into Times Square, searching for electricity and is unwittingly causing blackouts, frightening the crowds. Max, who for so long has felt ignored, reveals in the fact that people are now really seeing him as the news reports on his appearance have taken over the screens all over Times Square. Spider-Man appears, and after Max reveals who he is, Peter realizes this is the same man he rescued previously and attempts to talk him down. Gwen, having just arrived on scene, also makes the connection. Just as things are going well, a sudden movement from Max, after Spider-Man's face replaces his on the screen, leading him to think that Spider-Man is selfish, causes a police sniper to fire. Now believing that Spider-Man is working with the police to kill him, Max begins a rampage. There's a really stupid stupid scene here where they electrify the steps on Times Square and all Mm. the people run up the steps but they quickly pan over those steps don't go anywhere they're just steps that and then there's like a top and that's it where were they going? yeah it's literally just a place to sit (laughs) where you can buy Broadway tickets and they ran up like oh I'll go up this way I forgot (laughs) That these famous stairs don't actually lead anywhere. <laughs> yes, I was just going to jump over the back with the my kid in my arms. Yeah. Max shorts out Peter's web shooters, but Spider-Man is still able to rescue the civilians and subdue Max because he disappears for a sec as people are dying and puts on a fireman helmet and blasts him with water. I actually love that he put on the fireman helmet. <laughs> That's that's a very Spider-Man like, moment. A few extra me. people might die, but let me get this sweet helmet on real quick. <laughs> I thought the step scene at least looked cool to show like It was a cool senses. looking scene. Yeah. It just doesn't make yeah. any sense, but that's okay. It's a superhero It doesn't movie. need to make sense. It has spider sense. <laughs> no, I like the close up. Oh, this person's about to touch the metal. This person's about to touch the metal and him perceiving all of that and then like pulling them all away from yeah. the metal. Like it's cool. I agree. It's kind of matrixy the way the camera zooms around. I understand at least not having seen the matrix, but I had to get that disclaimer in before people yelled at me. I like Spider-Man's demeanor in this scene too, because he's been through a similar 
transformation before mm-hmm. and he is initially trying to help max because max is like i don't know something happened to me i don't know how to control this and he's trying to reason with him and then what happens a, a person with a gun messes things up again the cops ruined it thanks a lot <laughs> cops <laughs> what do you know this movie could have been had a wildly different outcome if people with guns weren't just shooting wildly hmm. at people Specifically, Spider-Man's life. (laughs) Yes. Back at Oscorp, Harry watches reports of Spider-Man's heroics. The data drives that Norman gave him opens and reveals uh, several of Oscorp's special projects, including a prototype battlefield suit that does on-the-fly injury repair, along with an enhanced mobility unit that looks a lot like a glider. If he had an entire suit that just perpetually healed him, why didn't his dad put that suit on? That's a good question. It doesn't trim nails. It's mm. <laughs> a good point. He wouldn't fit because they're gloves, and he can't put his hands in the gloves because his nails are too long. So you have to design the glove around his hands. Yeah. My one weakness: nail files. <laughs> <laughs> Among the files are a video of Norman Osborn and Benjamin Parker discussing Parker's research into spiders' abilities to self-heal culminating in their creation of hybrid spiders with human DNA. Can spiders actually heal themselves fast? Is that a spider power? I thought that was a wolverine power. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm doing my best Andrew Garfield impression right now. Oh, Emma Stone's like running to your house now. (laughs) No. Oh, wait, I'm coming over. Yeah, what a strange... Yeah, like, I know Peter in Spider-Man in general has, like, some regenerative ability, but he's not, like... He's not Wolverine. He's not Deadpool. Like, he can't just, like, yeah. on the fly regrow a limb or something. If only he got bit by a lizard. <laughs> <laughs> in Queens, Peter tries unsuccessfully to find a way to protect his web shooters from electricity. Is that one of the scenes that had a song in it? Okay, Yes. that is one of them, but it is not the one you're thinking of, because there is one scene in particular where I thought, why is this song here? I think that's something that ages poorly from these movies, is including like actual songs from the time period, and they're not even songs that I would have chosen from the year 2014. Yeah. I think this was like the like the dance like music remix of like Pursuit of Happiness with no words, so it was like short, but it didn't need to be there. The other scene is the one where Peter's building the like conspiracy board and for yeah. you plays. Philip yeah, Philip that Philip song. I thought that was the weirdest thing. I was like, why is this song playing here? Cause he'll love you long after you're gone. It's, his dad is gone. It, but that's not really what the song's about at all. It's not about I know. <laughs> I know. I'm trying my best here. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's one of the things that really dates this movie, which like, like I like the movie, but like looking back, I was like, that didn't age well. And I think it's for the best that the MCU doesn't have a lot of like songs. Like they're very few and far between. Well, and like there are ways to do it. Well Except for Guardians where yeah. it works. Like Spider-Verse does it really well. Spider-Verse has like a whole curated set. I think Black Panther had a few yeah. that were like curated like mm-hmm. this, but they got to be done well. This, These are not done well. Well, those were done like in Into the Spider-Verse. That song was like done. But those were all done for the movie. Black Panther was done for the movie. Yeah. This was just a popular song at the time. Ragnarok did it. Iron Man did it. 
Well, see, those movies, uh, a lot of those in Spider-Verse as well, when they're not doing the new songs, they're old songs. They're older songs. So they've already aged. So using them evokes like sort of a different set of emotions. Whereas this is just like, this movie is about the teens. So we have to have the popular yeah, music. When you do it. current songs, you're like guessing what will age well. And yeah. in this case, they guessed it Yeah. <laughs> Because almost every other time there's a, a, a song used, it's either used very deliberately because this song fits this scene and you're trying to evoke a certain mood, or it's like this movie set during uh, the Vietnam War, so we have to use Creedence Clearwater Revival. Uh, you know, it's like there are specific songs from specific periods that always show up in these movies. So, yeah, just throwing a contemporary song in there because it's contemporary. That's got to be a legal obligation. With Credence Clearwater, yeah. <laughs> no, we got to. What what song would you prefer to have him do his his dad board and his? Web I just looked up popular songs to. 2014, and one of them was "Chandelier" by. <laughs> <laughs> that one. Oh, gotta swing. That one. Yeah. Oh, that I'm, I'm gonna, gonna swing. swing. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's perfect. If we're not if we're not limiting ourselves to uh, contemporary songs, I think one way or another, I'm gonna find you. I'm gonna get you, get you, get you, get you. <laughs> or cats in the cradle. That's a song about a uh, broken relationship with a father. Make everyone cry. I don't have any more songs for you guys. Damn. Unless you want oh, Ariana okay. Grande or Nicki Minaj or who says I don't? Fancy by Iggy Azalea. <laughs> Oh, because it was the. I saw Bang Bang was on there, right? Yeah. Well, why can't we have Bang Bang for when he's making these web shooter things with electricity? Song with like Jesse. Bang Bang. Yeah, just bangs happening all over the place. It's a Bang Bang. (laughs) 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 Harry calls Peter to confess confess that he is dying and invites him to Oscorp. Harry shows Peter the video of their fathers explaining that the venom from the spider hybrids was intended to act as a cure for Norman's illness. Harry has concluded that Spider-Man's powers came from being bitten by one of those spiders and asks Peter, who has gotten photos of Spider-Man for the Daily Beagle, to find Spider-Man so that Harry can get his blood. Once again, everything with Harry is stupid because this makes no sense. (laughs) Oh, you've taken a picture of this person before. Can you get me a meeting with them? What do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's very reasonable when Peter says, I took a picture. He was far away. Like, obviously he's lying, but under any other circumstances, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's that that makes sense. I took a picture of Ian McDermott once when he appeared at Star Wars Weekends at Disney World. Doesn't mean that I can call him up and say, hey, want to come on our podcast and talk about being the Emperor? Yeah, I was going to say, I've taken pictures with Goofy before, but I don't have Goofy on speed dial. I think my biggest scary critique is I don't understand the timeline of this disease. Because he instantly is like, I'm dying, I'm going to die. It makes it seem like he's going to die like any day now, but like... No, his dad lived for Norman a long time. Lasted quite a bit, and like in the video they showed with him and Peter's dad, like he, he looked, he looked okay. He didn't yeah. look too sick, but Harry instantly is like starting to like visibly have symptoms. Like the day that he found out that this was a family disease, it somehow like took effect because he was like, oh, it starts around this age, but like it starts like very quickly. 
It always starts right after your father tells you about it. <laughs> son, that day, I'm going to die soon, so I better tell you about it now. Because damned if I'm going to be the only one. <laughs> Meanwhile, Gwen attempts to access Max's personal files. Oscorp security attempts to block this and apprehend Gwen. Peter runs into Gwen on his way out and they hide in a closet. They discuss their respective dilemmas and share a kiss. And then Peter puts on his best clumsy act to distract security so Gwen can get away. I loved this, like him, like messing with the security guards and like, like creating all of this tomfoolery. It was really well. It was really well done. Him walking down the hall and jumping and kicking his heels together. That felt like a Sam Raimi touch, <laughs> honestly, to me. I expected the, the, to freeze there and raindrops keep falling on my head to start. Yeah, and then a woman screams, which is another very common Sam Raimi thing. Gwen meets <laughs> Harry in the elevator and they discuss Peter. At the Ravencroft Institute for the Criminally Insane, Oscorp scientist Dr. Kafka studies Max. Dylan threatens Kafka, saying that he can feel the electricity in the walls, and that if Kafka doesn't kill him now, he will escape and will cut the light, and soon everyone in this world will know how it feels to live in my world. A world without power, a world without mercy, a world without Spider-Man. Once again, the train I, I had to put here. that direct quote there. <laughs> it's very poetic and dramatic. Like, you like, you're with him for a second. You're like, alright, I get it. A world without power, a world without mercy... A world without Spider-Man. How did we get here? How did we... <laughs> <laughs> I had to put that whole quote there because what? <laughs> also, fun fact, Dr. Kafka in the comics is a woman. This is a rare instance of them taking a female character and saying, make it a dude. <laughs> Interesting. Only men can be huh. scientists. Only when they're evil. Uh, I, I, and I feel like maybe it was... Perhaps a misguided but well-meaning attempt for, you know, when Electro kills him in a very horrible fashion. Like, oh, we don't want to look, he's abusing women. I, I, that's the only reason I can think of that they would say, let's make Dr. Kafka, Dr. Ashley Kafka, a man. Chris, this movie, we've already talked about how this movie isn't perfect, right? Now, yes. I would, I'm going to go to bat for this movie when we get towards the end, because I actually... I, as an entire film, I enjoyed myself watching this movie, but it is not devoid of problems. Yeah, I um, think this movie has sort of the opposite problem from what some might say the Sam Raimi movies had, where people kind of remember, and and I think Tobey Maguire is good, and I think Spider-Man is good, but he's, as we talked about in those three movies, he's not quite the comics quipping Spider-Man that we all, you know, want to see. But I think what that movie, what those movies do have, except for Spider-Man Three, perhaps, are compelling, interesting villains to watch. And uh, I, I would specifically think, I think Spider-Man Two. I, I know I liked it more than than either of you guys did, but I think that that movie, you know, tells a good story about Otto Octavius as a character and his relationship to Peter Parker, his relationship to Spider-Man. And I think that these movies, especially this one, just leave a lot to be desired in the villain department. And this is stuff that we've talked about kind of throughout already, how Max Dillon is cringy before he becomes Electro, and then he's just weird after he does become Electro. And uh, we won't get too much into Goblin just yet, because I know that there's going to be a whole thing about him, but I think that character also is handled pretty poorly. 
And I think what that does is that this movie has some good parts to it. I think the Peter Parker stuff is good. I think the Spider-Man stuff is good. I think the Gwen Stacy stuff is good. And I think that the villains work purely on the level of their good obstacles for Spider-Man to fight. But as characters, as part of this movie, as part of this story, they could have been anyone. Yeah. Goblin ties in a little bit more into the plot than any than Electro does. But Electro is like the main villain of this movie. But there's nothing about this movie where it needed to be Electro. Like, it doesn't really tie into the larger themes of the movie. It almost doesn't even affect not just the plot, but any of Spider-Man's... It's just someone for Spider-Man to fight at the end. And it feels disconnected. Whereas, if you look at Spider-Man 2, it's all about Otto and Peter. And and their and their connection and and you know it ties into themes. If you look at the good MCU villains, uh, if you look at Loki, Loki is a great character. And your Norse mythology fact for this week, by the way, is Loki premieres this coming Wednesday, and we're very excited. Um, which we're always building up to, um, but yeah, but Loki is a great character, and that's what makes him a good villain. Um, Thanos, uh, you look at Infinity War, really interesting character, and that's what makes him a compelling villain, not just because he's a tough guy to fight. And that and that is what this movie is missing, and that's what keeps it, that's what holds it back for me, I think, in a, in a very big way. Yeah, I think this, and this is another, going back to, they tried to start a lot of things that they didn't end up finishing. One of, their, one of the big problems I felt like these movies do is they start, character arcs and then they never finish them i think peter's character arc about in the first movie uh about like because like i didn't hate seeing like a like a self-serving spider-man at first like but the problem with that is they never resolve that they never go and say all right well peter learns that he needs to help people and like blah 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 he just kind of goes through the end of that movie and is still like about the same, like he, that that character arc kind of just like dies and fill, like fizzles away. I feel like Max Dillon is another one. He like begins to have a character arc of like self discovery and you know like, but rather than actually give him a full character arc, they go, all right, this is the point where he's going to turn crazy, and we don't have to do any of the rest of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they do that with a few characters here because they were just trying to design a bigger universe where they were going to do these character stories over large you know, several movie series. The problem with that is you're still making a singular movie here. So you need mm-hmm. to have your character arcs be fleshed out in the movie that you're making. And I think Max Dillon specifically, and let's not, don't even get me started on Harry Osborn. Max Dillon <laughs> specifically yes. starts off with what could be an interesting character arc and then quickly turns into what happened. I almost feel like they use him because in their greater scheme he is disposable right because at the end of the movie he dies like he turns into his little trackers on the ground and there's no more he he gets zapped into whatever but i mean that doesn't mean anything though because like well it it doesn't but it appears as if he died so it looks Mm -hmm. like it looks like their plan was we're not going to use electro in our sinister six and we know that because they use the you know little artifact thingies um, so we can just kill him. So because we're going to kill him, 
maybe we don't need to give them a full story. I'm not justifying what they mm-hmm. did. I'm saying maybe that's why they they skimped on making him more um, relatable or just filling out his story as much. Yeah, I, I get the inclination to want to build to the Sinister Six because that's an iconic supervillain team. And Spider-Man has one of the all-time great rogues galleries of superheroes. Uh, like, there are so many great villains in the Spider-Man catalog. But they're great not just because they're iconic. You, you have to actually be interesting to get to that point. And it feels like they just wanted... I mean, they wanted to make a Sinister Six movie. What even is a Sinister Six movie? Is it just a Spider-Man movie where Spider-Man isn't in it all that much because he's the antagonist? Just imagine them all like standing in a circle. There's six of us and we're all pretty sinister. What are we? Some kind of sinister six? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like, I don't know how you make a sinister six movie. You can do movies with supervillain team-ups. It can be done. Maybe it hasn't been done well yet, but I'm hopeful for the Suicide Squad. Uh, but they're all fighting a common enemy. They're sort of heroic, or at least anti-heroic. You can't really turn the Sinister Six into anti-heroes and then have Amazing Spider-Man 3 come out and Spider-Man has to beat them all. I I, I just don't know what the plan was there. Yeah, I think the thing that gets me is it makes me disappointed with all of the bad things in this movie because... Now that I've like gone and rewatched the movie, the good things I like a lot. Like the good the things they do well in this movie, I think they do really well. I think they're really good things. So it makes me upset when I see some of the bad things and the bad choices that they've made because like you were almost there. Like you had the workings of a what was gonna be a fantastic movie, and you kind of missed the mark on these few things, and because of the way that you missed it, it brought down all this good stuff. I would agree. At home, Peter builds a conspiracy board trying to figure out what his father's research means, uh, sung along by Philip Phillips. He discovers <laughs> a reference to Roosevelt in his father's briefcase. When May sees this, she is obviously hurt that though she raised Peter, she's still obs- he's still obsessing over his absent father. And she even says a line that starts off, yes, he was your father, but... And I jumped out of my chair and yelled, but he wasn't your daddy! <laughs> Peter assures her that he's her boy and he just wants to know the truth with no illusions that his father is perfect. This is another great scene. This interaction with Peter and Aunt yeah. May, this is fantastic. This is just acting. Like, they're just acting here and it's great. Yeah, it's the best May scene in either movie. Absolutely. For me. Mm-hmm. May reveals that after Richard's death, government agents came to her home and told her that he had made arrangements to sell his research for profit and he was a traitor. Peter can't accept this. Spider-Man visits Harry's penthouse, but tells him that until they know more about the possible effects, he can't give Harry his blood. Harry does not take this about the possible effect. Harry does not take this well. Excuse me. Peter runs to Gwen and has a bit of a nervous breakdown just as she is getting ready to take her final interview for her scholarship. That was a painful scene to watch. Why? Because he was such a... I don't know. In the last movie, you guys complained about all these like douchey Peter Parker scenes, but I think this was maybe the worst like douchey Peter Parker scene. I get he was going through something, but like he just had no awareness for her or. It's completely oblivious to where they are, and it's like 
And like she tried like 20 times to be like, this isn't the time. And I feel like mm-hmm. even if she wasn't going to an Oxford interview, which is a huge deal, someone saying this isn't the time for you to unload mm-hmm. your life on me is, is still an appropriate response. Like you don't have to have an yeah. excuse. You can just say like, we're not dating. I don't like owe you anything. Um, I don't know. This was just really tough. Like nothing in the first movie, like, upset me to watch between them like because I thought their like interactions were fine but this was like a really 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 tough scene and I would just imagine like me going to an Oxford interview which is obviously a huge deal and having my ex-boyfriend come in and cause a scene (laughs) um but then he like tries to make it playful right after where he talks about like how he um is like her professor like something weird I don't know, like, he gets played for laughs, like, immediately after, and then we never reflect on the fact that he almost ruined her chance of getting into Oxford. <laughs> mm-hmm. That kind of, the way you just said that gave me major um, Peter complaining to MJ at dinner vibes. Yes. <laughs> like, is it just like, a character trope that Spider-Man is self-involved sometimes and just unaware of, like, social cues? I think, yeah. I actually like, think that yeah. is kind of a yeah. Spider-Man personality trait. Like, I think that yeah, when he was bitten, he got the social skills of a Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> they hate Oxford. <laughs> Spider-Man visits Harry's penthouse, but tells him that, they, that until they know more about the possible effects, he can't give Harry his blood. Harry does not take this well. Peter runs to Gwen and has a bit of a nervous breakdown just as she is getting ready to take her final interview for her scholarship. Bailey, how did that scene make you feel? <laughs> Wait, didn't, did you just reread that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, "Wait, did I get it wrong?" <laughs> I was like, "Wait, no." <laughs> so nice you read. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh boy. Back in Queens, uh, Peter angrily throws his father's calculator against the wall. It's just... <laughs> it shatters, and inside, Peter finds several subway tokens. Remembering May's comments that Richard took the D train to work every day. Why does that sound suggestive? I knew you were going to laugh at that. <laughs> Because <laughs> I laugh, I laugh typing it. I'm like, that's not funny. Why are you laughing, Chris? <laughs> Daddy's taking a ride on the D train. It's with the D train twice a day. <laughs> Peter realizes that Roosevelt must refer to a subway stop. Obviously. <laughs> Investigating, Peter discovers his father's secret lab hidden in an abandoned train car. There, he finds a video message recorded by his father that reveals that Oscorp planned to use his research to create biological weapons. What Oscorp does not know is that Dr. Parker used his own DNA to create the hybrid spiders, and that once he's gone, they will will be useless to the company. As he leaves the lab, Peter gets a voicemail from Gwen. She was offered and accepted the scholarship and will be moving to England. 
Meanwhile at Oscorp, Felicia tells Harry that before the spiders were destroyed, their venom was extracted and stored in an off-books location called Special Projects. Creative. Harry is able to access the special, special Projects files and discovers video of Kafka's experimentation on Electro. Suddenly, Harry's access is revoked as Oscorp's VP, Donald Menken, storms in, framing him for covering up Max Dillon's death. He has Harry removed as CEO. Harry breaks into Ravencroft and proposes teaming up with Electro. Electro escapes and joins up with Harry, allowing Harry to break into the Oscorp building. Electro kills, then revives Menken, who reluctantly agrees to bring Harry to special projects. Electro leaves through the power outlet to go find Spider-Man. In special projects, we get to see some of the things Oscorp has been working on, in addition to the suit and glider we saw earlier. We get a glimpse of four robot tentacles. Menken injects Harry with the spider venom, instantly curing him, and everyone lives happily. Actually, it gives Harry scary teeth and claws, weird hair, and green skin. Seeing the battle suit, Harry crawls towards it, puts it on, and escapes on the glider. Okay, it's time to finally talk about the worst part of this goddamn movie. And it is Harry and Green Goblin, and it's all awful. First off, here's the one of the biggest problems with this whole thing. Harry gets injected with the venom, right? He then almost dies puts on the suit that heals him so that he doesn't die, and then he's like, you know whose fault this is? Spider-Man for not having me die sooner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I do not understand his evil logic at all. It just doesn't make any sense. Why is he mad at Peter? Like, Spider-Man chose right. He literally was like, if I give this to you, you might die. And then he took it and almost died. <laughs> He wasn't here at all. He should have just all. went after the guy. He should have went after the guy that let him. Yes, through. it doesn't make any sense. Not to mention any of the surface level things, like the way that the goblin looks, which is terrifying, and Ooh. not in a good way. It is not a like, a, oh, that's a cool, scary. It is like a, oh my god, he looks diseased <laughs> because he is. It's mm-hmm. it's one of those things that, like I said earlier, I get what they were going for, but it ends up looking like an episode of Cake Rex. <laughs> or nailed it or whatever that yes, show is where nailed they it. create cakes and they're bad at it like, uh-huh. we talked a lot about how we didn't like oh I didn't talk about it but well, you guys talked a lot about how you didn't like um, Harry from Spider-Man 3 and his like surfboard glider I would happily take surfboard, surfboard glider back compared to this yeah, three I, goblin I feel like I need to go back and watch Spider-Man 3 again and I'll probably like that goblin even better <laughs> like better now like Perhaps I I was too (laughs) hot. This is all awful. He... So bad. It's just so... Just from the whole movie. And I feel like you take Green Goblin just out of this movie, right? You give Electro just a little more, and this movie becomes significantly better, right? Like, you, you... You find a way to make it... Maybe Electro's the one... Like, I get that you were trying to be the... Like, trying to have it be just like the comic. Maybe Electro's the one that ends up leading to Gwen's fall. And that can be a way that you resolve both of those character arcs, right? Like, um, Max Dillon finds a way to realize, like, oh, no. Like, one of the only people that actually remembered who I was and was actually nice to me and I caused their downfall. Like, that would have been a really... That would have been so that sad. That would have been such a, a much more interesting way oh. to kind of close out the Electro story. But instead, 
he just kind of bursts, and then we get the quickest fight scene in the world with with um, Green Goblin and Peter, and then we get the whole clock tower scene. And some of that stuff is cool, like the like actual fighting. I don't know why, no, uh, the like actual fighting, but it just is so rushed and it's so dumb. And just I wish Harry would just wasn't in this movie at all. Do you think it would have been better if the actor was better? Because I think that's also a separate problem. Like, he's clearly the worst actor in this movie. Yes. But also, they did him so dirty. Like, Andrew Garfield, Sally Field, Emma Stone, Jamie Foxx, and then this, like, random person who I think hadn't been in a lot beforehand, and he's meant to, like, take on this, like, big role. Not even a big role, but like the scenes he's in, he's supposed to like really be acting. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, Harry Osborn is a big role in a Spider-Man story. <laughs> well, in this movie so, he's not like the biggest role, yeah. but like in all of his scenes, he like is meant to be doing a lot. Like yeah, He's he, meant to be the focus yeah. of the, every scene he's he in. He does right? okay when it's just the like, the Harry um, and Peter banter, but then once he like needs to be really emotional and like trying to get the cure like he just is a terrible actor also yeah i think to his credit i feel like the writing for harry was just awful in this movie yeah uh, to the point where i don't know if any actor really could have salvaged it i don't know enough about this guy's other works to know if it was bad acting bad writing bad directing or some combination a few years after called a cure for wellness ironically enough which is what he was looking for (laughs) 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 well it okay at overall eduardo's point holds really strong i think here because like we can pretty much agree that most of the scenes that we don't like in this movie involve this guy right in some way and if green goblin was not a focus if instead that extra time was devoted to electro we wouldn't have any of the fluff that involves harry we wouldn't have any of the awkwardness the strange acting, like, there's a lot... It would have boosted this movie a lot. It's just weird. I don't... Again, I, I, I think he... What was he in, like, Divergent or something, too? Like, soon after, or... Yeah, he was in that. He was in, um... Uh... Oh, he, oh, he was in Chronicle. He was in Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets. Oh, classic film. Yeah. And, uh... <laughs> Uh, he wasn't in Divergent, no. but he was in um, the miniseries Lysi's Story, which just premiered on Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus two days ago. So he's on that. So that's what he's doing right now. Um, I don't know. Done, I gotta, yeah. I gotta feel like it's mostly writing. Yeah, I feel like he wouldn't keep. I feel because like if it were Jesse acting, forth. this would have killed his career, and he's been working yeah. steadily since then. So. And, and- I'm more in inclined to blame his, the writing. In all of his scenes, he just seems to go back and forth so much. Like, he's so extra, and then sometimes he's fine. And then he goes back to being really extra. I don't know. At, it's a tough thing. I would have loved to see slimy James Franco with the weird face. <laughs> the red goblin face. Saying slimy and then saying James Franco is redundant. <laughs> mm-hmm. He played Billy the Kid in a movie that Vincent D'Onofrio directed. Oh, okay. So there's something. Stuck in traffic on our way to the airport, Gwen sees a message written in webbing on the Brooklyn Bridge. I love you. Just like Batman put up the fire bat signal (laughs) in (laughs) Dark Knight Rises. Some pig. (laughs) 
She goes out to look at it, and Spider-Man picks her up. On top of the bridge, Peter declares his love for her and says that he will move to England with her, reasoning that they have crime out there too, like Jack the Ripper. (laughs) The tender moment is interrupted by a blackout. Realizing this is Electro's doing, they find the police. Gwen solves the puzzle, but Peter cannot, and helps him magnetize his web shooters, which will protect them from Electro's electric powers. Peter then webs Gwen to a police car, saying that for her safety, she should not follow him, which obviously that means she's going to follow him. I did laugh at her going, Peter! <laughs> like, that was that was fun. Electro is waiting at the electrical grid that he designed and gains the upper hand in his battle against Spider-Man. This is intercut with action elsewhere in New York as we see that two planes are unknowingly on a collision course as their instruments malfunction and air traffic control is unable to make contact. Gwen arrives in the police car, knocking out Electro, telling Peter that it wasn't her choice to help. That it was her choice to help, excuse me. Together, they formulate a plan to overload Electro with electricity, destroying him. The planes don't crash. Happy ending. Okay, so I want to talk about the plane thing really quick. It was so disconnected because Peter didn't even know it was happening. So they threw it in there to add stakes. When, because, because clearly they felt like the battle itself did not have clear enough stakes on its own that they had to throw in this completely unrelated thing that, you know, Spider-Man doesn't even know that they're racing the clock here. So it, it, it just felt really weird that they threw that in to add tension for the audience, but it doesn't add any, anything. Mean, you cut that out and the, it's exactly the same because... None of our characters know what's happening. Right. Once again, if you don't have Green Goblin show up and you just have this be a fight between Electro and Spider-Man with Gwen being the point of tension, this scene becomes mm-hmm. a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, that's I, that's how I was going to lead in. Like That plane scene going away gives you more time to develop that fight yep. mm-hmm. as well. And it just, it just feels... It feels like them forcing their way to say, look, Spider-Man is very good. Look at the, the good things that he does by fighting bad guys. He saved people he didn't know existed on a plane. <laughs> like, like, we get it. We like Spider-Man. Yeah. Also, we were trolling, not happy ending. As Harry, now the Green Goblin, shows up. Seeing Gwen and realizing that Spider-Man is actually Peter, Okay, he decides to take his revenge on the hero for not sharing his blood with him. I think he was also mad though that like Peter wasn't like honest with him, but like so I guess that is like a like a bad friend thing to do. But would that have changed anything? And also, when your friend lies to you, do you respond by trying to kidnap and kill their girlfriend? I don't know. I mean, not usually. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah, I've not done. That. <laughs> I guess it probably depends on the circumstances. Yeah. Did you just get spider venom injected in you and turned you green? What's also maybe. interesting to me, again, maybe a writing choice, is that when they have that confrontation where Harry is like, Peter, you took his picture, so you know him. It felt very much like the mood in that conversation was, I know you're Spider-Man. Like, it sounded like he already kind of understood. And then you get this quote-unquote reveal where he's like oh this is gwen over here you must be peter parker like i thought you already put those yeah especially now that you point that out because i think harry like wants to meet with peter about that like shortly after the scene with um richard parker that's the name right richard 
Richard and Norman Osborne. And I thought that was like maybe like Harry picking up on the fact that like Richard Parker was involved with the spiders and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he figured out that, oh, Spider-Man must have been bitten by this spider, which, yes, he's right, but that's a hell of a leap, too. Yeah. It just all feels like such an extreme reaction, but I don't know. Maybe that's how it was in the comics. Probably not. You know what? The parallel I'm thinking of right now is this feels very much like when they told Sam Raimi, you have to put Venom in your third movie. I wonder if somebody was like, you have to put Green Goblin in your second movie. Mm -hmm. Do it. Well, I, I feel like it was more like we need to do the Gwen, the death of Gwen Stacy, so it has to be Green Goblin. That that's probably and they, true. like reverse but, engineered Harry into the whole movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, because I mean that's the thing is that it's Norman in the comics too. That's the one who killed Gwen, not not Harry. So they they already deviated. Not that there's anything wrong with making a change from the comics. Uh, I mean, look at us here; we're advocating for even more of that, mm-hmm. but. It's like they wanted to do the iconic Green Goblin throws down Gwen Stacy. That's not even Spider Man. It's different than how it even happens, though, because he like in the comics, it's like uh, he has like uh, his two things. It's the scene. It's the first scene from um, from Spider Man One where he's like save the girl or let the children die. That's how it happens in the comics, and he lets them both go. And Peter Mm -hmm. thinks he can save both, and he ends up not being able to save Gwen. So they still didn't do it like the comics. Yeah. So so why did it have to be Goblin? Right. Then? When the important thing isn't that Goblin kills Gwen Stacy, it's that Gwen Stacy right. dies. That's the important thing. Well, yeah, it's the the night. It's the what is it? It's the night Gwen Stacy died. Yeah. Not. Yeah. The yeah, night Green just, Goblin maybe, smoked Harry's wife. Or maybe they just misread the comic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The night that Green Goblin smoked Gwen. <laughs> he grabs Gwen and flies off, and a chase ensues into a nearby clock tower. Gwen falls, but Spider-Man is able to shoot a web, which she grabs onto. Spider-Man is able to defeat the Goblin, but as the gears turn, they cut Gwen's web. Peter fires a web, but it is too late. The web catches her just before she would have hit the ground. Her back breaks, her head hits the floor, and Gwen Stacy dies. Okay, and I was saying the snap sound in that scene was horrifying, like because there was no like music in the background or anything. It was just a really loud snap, and it hurt. It was mm-hmm. very emotional. I feel like I'm just gonna kind of talk about my point here, because um, I I thought this was a good scene. It was like a sad scene, but like it was like a cool fight, and it's very emotional, very dramatic. But I don't know what the purpose was of Gwen Stacy dying. I don't know if we would be able to understand it without the third movie. Because it does seem like they just really wanted to do the night Gwen Stacy died, like, in a movie. But, like, there's not a lot of movie after this point. Um, Like, Peter's, like, sad, but then he goes out to be Spider-Man. But I feel like there's not a lot of, like, grappling with, like, the effects of that and I don't know how like it seems like it wasn't necessary at all but maybe it would have been necessary if we got a third movie I just didn't know if you guys had any thoughts because like it's cool the scenes there I just don't know why it needed to be there and if that was critical to Amazing Spider-Man 2 or if it was that it was very specifically setting up an arc in Spider-Man 3 because based on just what we have like I don't know if Gwen Stacy needed to die at the end of this movie. 
Yeah, it's they condense the arc because it's Spider-Man is sad in a montage and stops being Spider-Man until he decides to be Spider-Man again. That all happens in like two and a half yes. minutes. Yes, he like just watches her graduation speech a few times and then it's like i'm gonna get back out there after aunt may's like what are you doing with your life basically Mm -hmm. when you brought it up initially it kind of felt to me like it was just something that they were doing to nod to the comic but earlier when we were talking about the original direction of spider-man 3 was to give spider-man weird regenerative resurrection powers i mean maybe that is why they're like it's okay we can kill her we're gonna bring her back Look, we'll give we'll give the comics fans something that they that they recognize easily, and then we will MacGuffin her back to life. <laughs> I don't know if I would have liked that as a third movie plot point though. Like, but I guess like maybe it would have been fine because it's not like Harry. You're not Harry. Um, sorry, Teddy's scratching at the door. It's not like Peter is that sad about her for that long. But like, it would have been weird if there's this like very dramatic scene, like very emotional. And then surprise, Gwen is back in the next movie. Like, I feel like in my head, it would have been like Andrew Garfield, like learning some sort of lesson and becoming more mature and more like selfless Spider-Man. But I think it would have been weird if they were just like, he spends all the time trying to bring her back. But maybe it would have been good. Who knows? But just based on what we have, it's just a weird ending to the franchise. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I I since since we don't know what it would have been like going forward, it's it's really kind of hard to say. It, but it it feels like just one more idea kind of thrown into this movie. Yeah, that's how I feel after rewatching it, which I didn't feel originally. I was like, but I guess originally I didn't know that we would never get any more Amazing Spider-Man. But like the more I think mm-hmm. about it, the more disappointed I am that they canceled the sequels and spinoffs and the less I think I like this scene because like, I don't know, I don't know what to make of it or what context to put it in. Cause it's such a big part of the comics. Like it's a very like iconic, like comic. And then we don't really know what becomes of it besides that he fights the rhino at the end of the movie. Yeah. It's like, Kind of like I said at the beginning, they telegraph this so much, honestly, throughout both movies that Gwen's going to die just like she does in the comics. You remember that comic you all like that's really sad? We're going to do that. And it almost just gets to the point of like, we're doing it now. Here we go. She's going to die just like you remember. We did it. And it's like, okay, but why? Yeah, like why why beyond Stacey? that's what Gwen Stacy does? Yeah, they even like put her in the outfit, I believe. Like she's wearing like the same outfit she does in the comics. You're like, mm-hmm. no, it's happening the whole movie, and then it happens, and then I don't know, like you're just left to think about it on your own. Yeah. But not even really, because yeah. the movie doesn't end on a super sad note. It ends on like an inspiring note, literally five mm-hmm. minutes after she died. Yeah, the last thing is they rushed through that at the end, I think. Not that I want the movie to end with him just like hanging up his web shooters and being like, well, I guess I'm done being Spider-Man. But that really would have been a bummer for not getting a sequel. <laughs> and, like, and that's how that story ended. He was so sad that he quit being Spider-Man. The end. But Why can't we bring it back? We, we talked about this in our group chat. And sorry, Robbie, you're not here to uh, maybe agree with us on this one. But 
why can't we have multiple Spider-Man stories going on in a movie universe, different movie universes at the same time? I I fully would endorse at this point after rewatching this movie, bringing Andrew Garfield back. Maybe they change how their plot goes forward, but I would like seeing another Spider-Man story on the screen. Like there's tons and tons of comics of him doing different things. Sometimes it's a completely different Peter Parker. Sometimes it's not Peter Parker at all. Sometimes it's Miles. Sometimes it's Ben Riley. Like why why can't we have multiple of successful Spider-Man things going on at the same time? I think it'd be cool. Yeah, I would love it if Marvel and Sony's agreement was that all right, Marvel, you're going to keep having your version of Spider-Man that you use for MCU projects. We will also have a different Spider-Man that we will use to connect our little Spider-Man universe. And that, you know, sometimes there will be you know, not just multiple versions of Spider-Man happening in different movies, but also sometimes now we're going to get an MCU version of Venom that's different from the Tom Hardy Venom. And now we're going to get a different version of Morbius or whatever it might be. And I think people could handle that. I don't think that's asking too much of audiences. Especially now that we have a whole movie about how there's a bunch of different spider people in a bunch of different universes and it's yeah. the best Spider-Man movie ever made. Like, cool, start there and, and keep going, you know? I mean, I don't think people are too confused by there being a Joker movie that Jared Leto wasn't in. Yeah. You know, just a couple of years after Suicide Squad happened. it's. I don't think anyone was like, this doesn't make any sense. And we're getting... Now, granted, this is partially because of DC just mismanaging everything that they do, but we're going to be getting a new Batman movie that doesn't tie in with the Ben Affleck Batman stuff, and it seems like they've given up on worrying about people being confused by there being more than one actor playing Batman for different things. I think they trust audiences enough to say that that they can do that. So I don't see there's any reason why Sony and Marvel couldn't come to that agreement where we get MCU versions of Spider-Man characters while Sony gets their own little universe of Marvel characters that connects in its own way as well. And you can have different versions and it would, I think that wouldn't trouble anybody. And where's the audience that would care about that negatively? Like, I think the people that like Spider-Man stories from comics and just like spider-man in general would be totally cool to see multiple runs at the same time whereas people that just go to the movies because they like seeing movies would also still have a good time watching a spider-man movie that they don't need to be connected to the other whoever is playing spider-man in the future or depending on how many universes there are do they Mm -hmm. care like the the small sliver of that entire mass of people that would be like I can't have two Spider-Mans. It doesn't make any sense. Like, it's got to be so small that who cares? Mm-hmm. I think if you're Marvel, though, you're concerned whether or not people are going to get Spider-Man fatigue. Like, if there are too many Spider-Man stories out there, it kind of dilutes how special it is that you have Spider-Man. Maybe. Yeah, I could see Sony and Marvel not thinking the same way we... Well, specifically Marvel... But yeah, Sony, I know you listened to the last episode, so if you also listen to this episode, just know that we think it would be just fine if you do an Amazing Spider-Man 3. In Morning, Peter gives up being Spider-Man for several months as the citizens of New York wonder if their mass protector will ever return. 
Back at Ravencroft, the shadowy figure from the mid-credits scene in The Amazing Spider-Man, now identified as Gustav Fears, visits Harry, who is looking less goblin-y than before. They discuss putting together a small team to defeat Spider-Man once and for all, and Harry says they have everything they need at Oscorp. Fears enters... Oh, go ahead, Chris. I, my question is, why do they want to defeat Spider-Man when Spider-Man has been gone for months? Spider-Man's defeated. <laughs> <laughs> The only reason he comes back is because they sent one of their guys out. That's a good point. Fears enters special projects where we once again see the robotic tentacles, as well as a set of wings and a large armored suit. Fears says they have their first candidate, Alexei Setsevich, the Russian mobster from the beginning of the film. When they said small team, do you think they thought that six was the number they were looking for with a small team? Yeah. Perhaps. Mm. I'm honestly surprised he didn't say six. <laughs> Maybe me and five others for a total of six. At home, Sad Peter sees the reports of an attack downtown. May mentions that it's not bad that it's too bad that Spider-Man has disappeared since people need him. Peter sees that she's going through some of Ben's things to take one last look and then put them where they belong. This encourages Peter to finally watch the video of Gwen's valedictorian speech the words of which inspire him to suit up as Spider-Man once again. In Manhattan, Setsevich is r- rampaging in the armored suit we see at Oscorp, now calling himself the Rhino. A crowd has fearfully gathered. Why does a crowd gather every single time there's a fight in this, in this <laughs> yes! movie? Thank you. Every single time there's a fight, there's always a crowd just like watching. Barricades conveniently set up. It's like, run and away, people. It's not even like a fist fight. That rhino has Gatling guns on both of his arms. <laughs> like, those bullets could go anywhere, and people are just like, ooh. And it's not like people are in the crowd, like, recording it to, like, put on the internet either. They're just, like, literally watching for their own fear. They're just standing there looking scared. <laughs> yeah, and, is- this, and this little boy goes out there, and the lady's like, oh, no, come back to the safety of this metal barricade. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> Bailey, what you just said has got to be the least realistic thing about the whole movie, because I've been to Magic Kingdom, and every time fireworks happen, all the people that are standing around grab their phones and hold them up into the air and watch the fireworks through their phone. So they should all be recording. Mm-hmm. That's not real. A little boy dressed as Spider-Man climbs through the barricade to stand up to Rhino, as his mother tearfully appeals to the police. The real Spider-Man shows up. Doesn't he say something cute? Like, I'll take it from here, Spider-Man. Yeah. Thanks to the boy for being brave and promises to take it from here. <laughs> <laughs> Rhino charges, Spider-Man leaps, movie, uh, and the movie ends. Over the credits, we see schematics that hint at the Sinister Six movie, which should be hitting theaters any day now. <laughs> <laughs> and if you were in theaters and used the Shazam app on the Alicia Keys, Kendrick Lamar song that played over the credits you would see clearer versions of the schematics. Then Mystique shows up and beats up a lot of soldiers. (laughs) So, how how does this movie compare to the MCU? (laughs) It's kind of tough because the movie, like, is clearly trying to be more of an MCU-style movie, but I don't think it... I think when it leans into the things that it does different from the MCU, I think that's when it's most successful. Like, when it's not interested in trying to create a shared universe, that's when the movie really shines. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a decent movie. And where it really suffers is direct comparison structurally to the MCU. 
I don't think I have much different to say from earlier. I I agree with what you guys are saying. I think it holds up better now than it did. But yeah, you know, we never got to see this universe. So come on, alternate reality, let's go. Yeah, I think I would agree in like what you guys said, when it does things kind of differently from the MCU, it really works. Like I think when it leans more into the like chemistry between Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy, I would take that any day over a Tony Stark and Pepper Potts scene. Mm -hmm. It's like, (laughs) I don't know why you're making that face. I don't think it's been a secret that I think they have a terrible relationship that comes out of nowhere and makes no sense for the most part. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's it. I think I'm just sad. Sad. MVPs, Bailey, we'll start with you. Who's your MVP for Amazing Spider-Man 2? I said Peter Parker, and I couldn't even think of who else like it could possibly be. It surely wasn't going to be, like, there's really not a lot of choices. Like, it, it has to be Peter Parker. I thought about maybe Gwen Stacy, but then it's just Peter Parker. And also, like, it would have been weird to pick her as MVP because her arc ends on such a sad note. Yeah, I'm with you. I also picked Peter Parker, like... He seems like the clear choice here. You picked Andrew Garfield specifically. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Not just any Peter Parker. Peach, what about you? I also um, chose Peter as my MVP in this movie. I, I think Gwen would be a close, well, I don't know about close second, but the I, Peter improves so much in this movie. All the criticisms we had are basically fixed, and, and he plays like the Spider-Man we really want him to be and the Peter Parker we want him to be. Gwen was also great in this movie. It's just... Gwen was already great from the first movie for the most part. I like that she has that agency moment that Mary Jane had in Spider-Man 2 where she's like, it's not your choice, it's my choice, I'm going to do what I want, let me help. Um, But I think Peter's improvement is so noticeable that it's very difficult to not give him the MVP. Chris? Yeah, I'm going to make it unanimous. Uh, It's such... Almost night and day from the... I mean, he had good moments in the first one, but but yeah, he embodied the character in a way that he did not. And the writing was so much better for the character as well that, you know, it it reminds me of why the, you know, the, you know, conventional wisdom is that, oh, he was a great Spider-Man. Yeah, it beca- because he was great in the movie, I remember just being terrible. <laughs> so, yeah, I, th- I thought, yeah, Gwen is literally the only other candidate as far as i'm concerned but i gotta give it to to spider-man this time ratings peach we're gonna start with you we're gonna rate amazing spider-man 2 yeah i had it listed here as a 7.5 or an 8 listeners everywhere just (laughs) decided that i am the worst human on planet earth i think i'm gonna go with seven and a half gods named sparkles out of ten um just because at this point, after talking about it, I I do agree with you, Eduardo, that maybe they should have just left Green Goblin out of the movie and focused more on Electro. I think if they would have done that, it would have gotten closer to an eight, maybe even better than an eight. Uh, but I'm gonna go seven and a half, Chris. Yeah, I'm gonna um close. I'm gonna give it a seven aborted spinoffs out of ten. Um, Again, the the villains just drag it down a little bit more than I would like, but overall, the Spider Man stuff is very enjoyable, as is the uh, the Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy stuff, and it uh, you know made it a lot more uh, a lot more fun than I than I anticipated, better than I remembered it being. 
Uh, how about you, Bailey? I gave it eight Oxford interviews out of 10. It was as good as I remember. Um, I was a fan in the beginning, still a fan. I mean, I had a bit more critiques this time around, but I think some of the critiques are just like it aging and also us like, like me coming out of it the first movie, I was like, oh, they're going to like tie up all these loose ends. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There will be no, no loose ends that are tied up. But like I enjoyed this movie and I enjoyed it more than probably like the first, not all, but most of the first like phase and a half of the MCU. So I think that's why I rated it so high. Like I would choose to watch this over any of the Iron Man movies, to be quite honest. Eduardo. I gave it 7.5 snaps out of 10. I hate that you did that. Oh, no. (laughs) My God, dude. (laughs) <laughs> all right what about rankings of all spider-man movies now that we've watched all of the spider-men chris what's your definitive ranking for all of the spider-man movies number one spider-man into the spider-verse number two spider-man far from home number three spider-man 2 number four Spider-Man Homecoming. Number five, Spider-Man. Number six, surprising me greatly, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Number seven, Spider-Man 3. And down at the bottom, The Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, Peach, what do you got? Yeah, uh, man, I just, I'm just imagining all of our listeners' heads exploding as we're doing these things. Amazing uh, Spider-Verse is number one. Homecoming is number two, then Far From Home. Surprise, and this might just be a recency thing. It might be because it just surprised the hell out of me. But after all the... After Spider-Verse and the MCU stuff, Amazing Spider-Man 2 is in fourth place for me. Then Spider-Man 2, the Raimi 2. Then Amazing Spider-Man then Spider-Man 3 and creepy-ass Tobey Maguire from Spider-Man 1 is at the very the very back of the train. Eduardo? It should come as no surpri- surprise to no one. It should come as a surprise to no one, excuse me, <laughs> that Into the Spider-Verse is the best Spider-Man movie ever. Following that, I've got Far From Home. Then I've got Homecoming. Then I have Spider-Man 2 followed by Amazing Spider-Man 2, Amazing Spider-Man 1, and then Spider-Man 3, and Spider-Man 1. Ours almost ended up the same. We're very close. We are just different on the the twos. I can't Mm. believe you both have Spider-Man 3 above Spider-Man 1. I can. I can. (laughs) No, I'm with you. (laughs) I cannot. Go ahead, Bailey. Okay. Um, Into the Spider-Verse, number one, obviously. Uh, Far From Home, number two. Homecoming, three. Amazing Spider-Man, four. And I'm not going to give any justifications. I'm not sorry. Spider-Man, two, four. Amazing Spider-Man, two, four. What did I say? Just Amazing Spider-Man, which is confusing because the very next one is Amazing (laughs) Spider-Man. Actually, I might. So that's what I've been going back and forth on. If I have Amazing Spider-Man above Spider-Man 2, I might put Spider-Man 2 and then Amazing Spider-Man. And then Spider-Man 1 and then Spider-Man 3. But for the most part, it's pretty much like Tom Holland and Andrew Garfield and then 
Tobey Maguire. Well, if if the uh, pattern continues and the second Spider-Man is the best of its respective series, I am so excited for me uh, for Into the Spider-Verse two. <laughs> yeah, Issa Rae just cast as uh, Jessica Drew, Spider Woman. That's right. That's right. Man, let's hope. Fingers crossed. Because yeah. that movie, if, I didn't if think they can it top that movie. Oh man, mm-hmm. it's gonna be hard. This Into the Spider-Verse is like a perfect movie. It is like as close to a perfect film as I have ever seen. It's so fantastic. I think that's going to do it for this episode of Assembly Required. Huge thanks to our Avengers-level patrons, Brian and Riley, for supporting us. And if you'd like to support us, you can do so over at patreon.com slash assemblyrequired. If you want to yell at us about our amazing Spider-Man 2 thoughts, you can do so sending us a quick email, assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com. Or you can add us on Twitter at assemblycast. You can follow us, all of us individually, uh, GatorSax2010 for Chris, D underscore Peaches for Peaches, at, is it, what is, what is your secret? I, yeah, my, what's which, which Twitter do you, do you have multiple? Oh, at Braley Sanchez. Okay, and then at ABC Eduardo one for myself. For Robbie, it's going to be at PhilKid3, even though he's not here. He won't be on the next episode either because he's out of town, but he will be on the following episodes. For all you Robbie stands out there, I know you're many. Which we know there are many, yeah. There are many. Don't worry. Robbie will return in Loki episode two. Um, but I think that's going to do it for everybody here. It's going to do it for myself, for Chris. For Peaches, for Bailey, we love you 3,000. Bye, everybody. Excelsior. Hail Hydra? Bobbly, bobbly. I still don't story wrote and even through disaster i held the tiger for hope i'm trying to find my way back there's no day off for heroes and even when i'm tired go is the only word and the night is taking over and the moonlight gets exposure and the players have been chosen and it seems like fate has spoken when it seems your faith is broken by the second losing focus ain't no way to get up get up get up get up unless
nobody to listen to listen.